Hello, this is episode 29 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Day. Optimal isn't the goal. It shouldn't come as that big of a surprise that our modern, comfortable, and technology-driven lives are also making us quite unhealthy. We have screens in our faces all day. We never leave our climate-controlled homes, cars, and offices. The ease of access to cheap, low-quality, quote-unquote, food the ease of access never before has made it so easy to be alive. And most of us are sick as a result. President Theodore Roosevelt used to say that nature was healing. Whenever he got overwhelmed by the stress of work, people, and business, he would disappear into the wilderness for several days or weeks. When he returned, he often proclaimed that he felt restored and healed. He's right. Technology is great. It makes a lot of things more efficient and easy, but it also numbs us. We have lost our innate ability to understand what our bodies are saying. The simplest, healthiest things in life are all free and accessible to everyone. They will challenge you and likely be pretty difficult. Get outside and see the sunrise. Get the morning light on your skin and your eyes every day, even in the winter months, especially in the winter months. Breathe cold air. Take a cold shower or bath. Maybe go without food for a day. Every once in a while, Train until your legs give out and leave you in a heap of sweat and swear words on the floor. Living to be optimal has left us without the ability to become resilient. We should be able to do all of the things listed above and not freak out like the world is crashing around us. Our bodies thrive on that kind of acute stress and it makes us drastically healthier as a result. So enough of the poorly lit germ factory of a gym pumping terrible music and get outside to train and sweat and let nature do its thing, heal. That was my favorite piece by today's guest, a phenomenal strength and conditioning coach who is no stranger to the older ways and more primal ways of training the mind, body, and spirit. His name is Coach Ross Hillier, and he's out of Idaho, and he's currently the host of the Surging Podcast, the Nomad Strength Podcast, which has a quite an eclectic range of real experts in the realm of strength and wellness. I've been looking at this podcast, looking forward to this podcast for some time. Um, wanted to talk shop with this gentleman quite some time, and uh, I'm very happy to have him here. Thank you so much for being on the show, Ross. My pleasure, man. It's good to finally connect and do this thing over us speaking rather than just Instagram messages. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of sporadic, you know, ADHD-ridden <laughs> mode of communication. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm notoriously bad texture too, so I'll, I always like, I always like uh, methods where we're more pleasant. People are surprised when I, I'll, I'll not text someone for two days and actually be engaged in a conversation when I'm you know, face-to-face. So. <laughs> right, I'm the same. <laughs> Glad to hear it, man. Um, so... Like all of the guests that I have, I always love to hear about their A to Z background. And I'm sure your audience uh, over at Know My Strength has learned quite a bit about you. But um, some of the audience of Blood and Rain that doesn't have some crossover, I'm sure would love to hear about your background, both as a human and as a trainer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's go way back, I guess. Then. I am. Uh, I live in the Boise area of Idaho. Uh, I've born and raised in southern Idaho my entire life uh, with the exception of the four years I was in school I was in Helena Montana uh, so northwest born in Rocky Mountain born and bred 
uh, I come from farmland down where I'm from. It's tons of open farmland and dairy land. And so that part of my upbringing really did shape a lot about how I perceived the world and the areas that I lived and the people that I interacted with. Um, and I came from a small town, you know, six-ish thousand, six, seven thousand people. Uh, I was always into athletics. Oh, I mean, I did everything under the sun all the time. When I got into high school, I kind of settled into a couple of things that were that were more my jam. Uh, I did, I played basketball, I, I did all the sports growing up, but when I got into high school and I, I realized I was getting good at a couple of things, uh, it was track and football. And during this time was when I found training and weightlifting. I was uh, eighth grader going into my freshman year and I remember PE class in eighth grade was the first time we were taken into the weight room at the middle school. And uh, I actually kind of just, it was actually a, a machine bench press um, for a lot of really great reasons. Actually, the middle school didn't have a ton of free weights because, uh, you know, a bunch of little tiny middle school kids really unsupervised probably wouldn't have been a great idea with a bunch of free weights around there. Uh, so everything was machine based. And so I ended up popping under the machine bench press and it's funny, it's funny the things that you remember uh, in certain moments of your life because they make the really impressionable moment that kind of sets the way for a lot of other things to happen in your life. I got under this bench press machine bench and uh, I just popped it straight up. And I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. I'm, I guess I'm kind of strong. And I, I like looked at it and uh, it was like 70 pounds. And I was in eighth grade, I probably weighed 120. And so I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm kind of strong. And I ended up going, just kept moving the pin down on the stack. And I get all the way down to the bottom of the thing. And it only went up to maybe like 105 pounds. It wasn't like some crazy amount of weight. This, this machine only went to like 105. But I just sat right underneath it and I just popped it straight up, did like two or three reps. And uh, I remember my coach coming over, who was the PE coach. And he's like, okay, I think we found your thing. And I'm like, I, I apparently, I guess I'm kind of strong, I guess. Uh, and so from that moment on, I like just loved the weight room and I loved training and I, I really dug all the sports and I love the camaraderie of all the sports and, and football has great, you know, team building and, and that shared suffering and stuff. But I always found myself dragging to the practices when I really wanted to be training and for no other reason than I just love lifting weights. And so all through high school, I really just started to dive in and as I got to college, I, I went and, like I said, I was in Montana and I, I did two sports in college. Uh, I played football for a year and a half uh, and then I did track for all four. And I became a decathlete after I stopped playing football because I had a lot more time. So they're like, hey, just go learn eight more events. Why don't you do that? So I said, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> part of the reason I stopped was because I didn't have time to do both sports and school and like have a life. And then I had all this time and they're like, hey, go you know quadruple your work output now so I'm like I didn't have any time anyways so uh I did that and I loved it but that is a very obviously skill intensive realm and so that required a ton of skill development and uh because some of the things I'd never done before um, never pole vaulted before uh which is a crazy experience when you're an adult learning how to do it uh, one of my best friends is was four or five time national champion pole vaulter. And he was essentially the one who was coaching me during this time. And he made the comment, he said, it is almost impossible to teach someone to pole vault as an adult if they didn't have like some sort of gymnastics type background as a child. Because 
people freak out when they get upside down. People don't know how to handle being upside down. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. And so you watch people that would try to pick it up in college and like just literally panic. And so that concept of the skill development side of it, coupled with the training that I was doing, you know, a couple hours a day, three days a week, plus practice, plus all this other stuff. Like I just felt so at home in the weight room. And during all this time in college, I was kind of on the low key, not training people, but I was helping them out my friends on the team in the weight room with stuff. Um, they would come to me and be like, hey, um, you know, can you check this for me? Can you check my, my technique on, on these lifts? Can you check my grip if I'm doing these cleans and my hook gripping correctly? Like all this kind of stuff, because they knew that I was the one that was like kind of nerding out, which by the way, had nothing to do with what I was actually doing school for. Uh, I was in school as a business and marketing major because that required really kind of like the lowest amount of time commitment. And I was super busy with training and sports. So I was like, how can I, you know, still make use of my education? But like, I wasn't going to go into the, the sciencey realm because I would have had, you know, labs and all this stuff that would have just taken 10 times the amount of time. I wouldn't been able to train or, or practice for my sport. And so, but during all this time, I was like, just really getting into the training thing and coaching people. And that was like really where my first coaching experience happened was just working on my friends in college. So we get out of college and uh, I come back to Idaho and I'm dating my now wife at the time. We'd been together about a year and a half or so. And she decides we're, we're both in the Jerome area, Twin Falls area. And she decides she's going to come up to Boise area to teach. And I'm like, well, we've been doing this distance thing for two years now. I'm not going to do it again. So I'm just going to follow you up there and I'll find a job somewhere. So I found a job. First place I could get in was just a corporate gym setting. Right. And honestly, this is funny because if I was them, I would absolutely have not hired me to be a trainer at that point in my life <laughs> because like all I had done was, was like I was the person that everybody rags on when you talk about strength and conditioning people like the person that comes in with just the weekend certification. Right. Like because I had to have one in order to work there, even though like it was easy for me to pass that certification. I already knew all that stuff. But in terms of accreditation, I have nothing. But they hired me anyways because they needed bodies, right? And so uh, I got a job at this this gym. And over the course of about a year, you know, as much as people kind of crap on the corporate gym setting, one of the beautiful things about it was over the course of the next two years, I saw hundreds of people because they they feed you clients really well. You know, you, none of them really stick around very long. A lot of times it's half hour sessions, you know, whatever it is. But you get to see tons and tons of bodies of all walks of life. You really get to develop your coach's eye for movement and, and really hone in your skills because you're just, you're, the volume of work you're getting is so high. And so after a couple of years of doing that, um, I have kind of the entrepreneurial mindset where kind of all the time I think I could do something better even if that's not true. I, and so like the way that uh, I was getting the way that the business part of it was running at the corporate gym and kind of where I felt comfort wise in my coaching business, I said, you know, I could probably do this a lot better if I was doing this myself. And I had real no plan. I basically just told my wife one day, I'm like, Hey, I found this gym that's going to allow me to pay them rent and I can bring all my clients there. And they're not going to, other than rent, they're not going to take any cuts of what I make per session, which, you know, in the corporate gym world, they take quite a big chunk. They take an absurd amount of money. Uh, yeah. And I basically maxed out my earning potential by all the certifications that I had gotten. Cause that's how they based it. 
um, at the place I was at. Like you basically get, I think up to six different certifications and it bumps up your percentage like two percent each time. But I had done all of that and maxed out myself unless I just wanted to work like a hundred hours a week. I basically wasn't going to make any more money there. And it wasn't really about that. But when they take at that point, still 72% of what you're making in a session, you're just like, this is not sustainable for me to make a career out of this, which honestly is probably why there's such high turnover in those corporate settings. It's either the people who are needing it just for a job and or the people that want to do it as a career, they know that they can't last in those places because it's not career making money. And so I left that and I basically told my wife, I'm like, hey, I found this little boutique studio. She's just going to charge me rent and I can bring all my clients there and they're not going to take anything else from me. And I only had like four or five clients come with me out of my 20 something that, you know, because they wanted to stay at the corporate gym with all the amenities, which I get. Uh, but just those Donald, like four service and all that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was going like some dingy little garage thing that was on the side of a of a uh, a company that does like second amendment situational awareness training and they just had this like <laughs> section on the side that had a couple of squat racks and some dumbbells like they had nothing in terms of equipment but it was like hey it's 300 bucks a month come in here and train all the people you want i'm <laughs> like uh deal and so uh but i only so i only had like four or five people come with me i didn't change anything about what they were paying before because i had no business acumen at this point i just knew i didn't want to be at that gym anymore and uh and so I didn't cha- like, like, I'm going to keep all your stuff the same. You keep paying the exact same, but I only had four people come, but I made four times the amount of money because the, the gym wasn't, the gym wasn't taking any of it. And so I'm like, okay, th- there's something here. There's something here. And so, you know, kind of tangentially wrap, you know, rambling story. The, the thing that ended up really clicking for me was once I decided, you know, I want to be a coach. I'm coaching is my thing, but if I'm going to do this on my own, I have to learn how to become a business owner as well. You know, and that's where a lot of people coaching specifically, they fight that a lot because they think of the business and the sales and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, you know, that's not me. I don't, I don't do sales. I'm like, well, you know, well, you're right. I didn't think so either, but I also at that time wasn't training anybody because I wasn't <laughs> selling anybody into training stuff. So, uh, you have to learn how to do the business thing. So I worked with several business coaches. Um, I bounced around at a couple of those boutique studios, just paying rent and training people did that for several years. Uh, and then two years ago, almost two years ago, exactly. Cause my son, who turns two next week, uh, he was four or five months old. So it was the fall of 19. I just decided, hey, I'm going to do this full-time online instead of being in a gym. I want to be more flexible so I can be home with my son and spend that time that not a lot of dads get to at you know that infant newborn age. Uh, and so it was essentially like starting a new business again. All the stuff that I'd learned in the last two years, three pl- or four years, basically thrown out the window <laughs> like you've got to learn all these new principles now to take your business online and so i went again got another business coach went through that whole thing and luckily i had about a six month head start in the online space before everybody on the planet had to go online last spring when all the gyms shut down and That's so Jesus Christ. yeah it was how long, uh, how long was, was idaho shut down because i know you guys weren't before far being like this so so like fully shut down we started opening stuff back up at the beginning of may last year there was still some so i mean so like we were yeah yeah i mean yeah that was basically it after april there were things that were back open there were some uh municipalities that enforced stricter things which the city of boise was one of them 
So if you're within city limits of Boise, they were they stayed far stricter um, for far longer than pretty much everywhere else in the state, uh, because everywhere else in the state's like you know rural farmland stuff. You know, all these people are like, no, we've got stuff to do. Like, we're not abiding by any of this. You know, like, we've got stuff we've got to take care of and, and families we've got to provide for. And, like, we're just not going to, no, we're not doing this. That, that, uh, that's fair on Boise's part because initially we didn't really know what the fuck was going on. Because exactly. China exactly. was, you know, feeding through these videos of the CCP, rather, feeding these videos of these people dead on the street. We thought that was going to happen yeah. here. Like, okay, well, let's not take any chances. But as soon as they knew, it's like, okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it did not take long for everybody for I guess I shouldn't say everybody, but for a lot of people around these parts to just kind of be like, OK, this is no, this is not not a thing, but it's not what they're telling us that it is, you know. And so uh, it's, you know, like I said, there there's really two big kind of metro areas in Boise or in Idaho. Sorry, Boise area is one. And then there's up in Coeur d'Alene area is kind of the other uh, in terms of population size. And they kind of, you know, like most metro areas in the country they stayed the strictest the longest everybody else was kind of just floating you know gradually back to normal whatever that means uh much quicker than those bigger areas and so luckily we're in a town that's just on the outskirts of boise it's not in boise city limits but out here uh pretty soon everybody out here is just like nah nope we're good uh, and started just kind of doing their own thing, uh, which was awesome. I mean, like, and, and the state of Idaho never had any mask mandates at all um, from the very beginning. They've never, we've never had any mask mandates. Um, so they've been pretty good about that. There's been some other things that, you know, the governor, we've very strongly disagreed with a lot of things on kind of just a float along, do what everybody else does kind of decision making on a lot of things. And uh, so that kind of set some people off. But honestly, around here, the which is how it should be, in my opinion, the local governments and stuff matter a lot more to a lot of people rather than even than, than federal, but even the state. Like there's a lot of stuff that people just don't give a rip about even what the state's doing. They just care about what their town's doing, which honestly, that's how it should be, in my opinion. <laughs> so. But yeah, so we, uh, I made that decision to go online and, and been rolling with that ever since. And it's been a blast. Like it's a totally different experience for training people and coaching people. I really had to try and find my footing again under that uh, and learn how to do it in that way. But it's been, yeah, it's been a blast. I wouldn't trade it for anything because I get to spend all this time with my son that a lot of people don't get to do. And basically we can, you know, we're in summer months now. I mentioned to you off, off recording that my, you know, my wife's in education and so she's on summer break. And, you know, so we can like go places and, and travel and drive and do road trips and stuff during the summer. And as long as I've got internet, you know, I can stop off and get some programming done or check in with my clients and, and roll that way. So it's a pretty sweet gig right now. That's absolutely the way to do it, man. I mean, I'm in online coaching myself. I'm not really doing any online coaching. I miss the actual coaching aspect, but yeah. I'm, I'm writing program. I'm planning programming, you know, weeks, months years yeah. in advance in some cases yeah 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 um, well i always specifically seek out athletes because i know i'm not going to mm -hmm. have to have the conversation with the athlete saying oh man I, I you know i was eating the foods and you know i followed the diet plan I'm like oh okay well did you uh drink yeah. this off this weekend yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, did, you, did you think that wasn't gonna you know have any difference in what you're doing like well <laughs> you know i just thought that like yeah that, no you didn't think okay whatever um <laughs> So, like, that's why I typically see good athletes. Like, I want guys who are, 
in, insatiable for training, obviously. They're sure. Like, they're, yeah. they're, they got the twitch in the eye, and they're going to stop at nothing. You know? So yep. I typically totally. see on athletes, but um, you know, I went to business with Primal Thrive. Primal Thrive is much more on the side of, um, he's much more on the side of testosterone boosting and hormone balancing. And, sure. Uh, he's an Eastern medicine expert, like legitimately not, you know, does acupuncture once and does one Reiki class and calls himself a guru with talking to you all the girls in the marina in San Francisco. No, he's, been, he's a no shit, you know, uh, he's a no shit Eastern medicine expert. Um, so That's cool. He comes from that sort of realm of things and we, we really hit it off. So him and I are getting into business now because I come from, you know, six plus years of strength and conditioning background in, sure. you know, powerlifting, bodybuilding, strongman, combat sports, conditioning. Um, yeah. A lot, a, lot, like a lot of crossover with uh, some of the methods I've seen you use, you know, a lot of steel mace stuff, a lot of kettlebell stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're not doing any online coaching yet, but that's, yeah, I'm, I'm in a similar boat to you where I'm really just programming and adjusting and overseeing people's programming and checking in with clients and seeing how the training's going and seeing what exercises yeah. are applying to, you know, their, their just their makeup, you know, their bone density, the, their limbs, um, sure. you know, their leverages, you know, all these you know, finer details. Um, for you know curation of exercise um what what was what were some of the the major adjustments for you going from you know the bounce around you know, working out of various garages doing in-person mm-hmm. coaching to training people online like did you saw first of all do you do you basically coach people over zoom or skype or facetime and like that good question so the way that i've got it set up right now and i've and i've done several iterations of this uh, over the last couple of years and, and probably within the last six months, really kind of found a system that works really well. So I coach people in two ways. I do one-on-one coaching, uh, probably will always do that to some degree, but I only take, you know, a handful of people at that at a time, just because of the time intensive nature of working with somebody one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I also have a group program that is kind of where all of the things that I've been putting together for years now are, are being funneled in through this group program. And the way that we do it is I have a, a training software called, I use Train Heroic, uh, which is oh, programming, nice. yeah. programming software, um, which is great for group templates and stuff because I can program workouts and it's essentially on their end, you know, they can pull it up on their phone, look exactly what today's workout is, and then they can leave me notes. Uh, they can log their weights, their reps, their times, whatever. It's essentially just a digital workout journal. Uh, and so I get to communicate with them that way. And then we also have a community platform that, and when I was doing this, I've done several software things to try and, to try to create the environment of a tribe, which is really difficult to do virtually. Absolutely. Uh, I use things like Slack. Um, use Facebook groups at one point and I, I wanted something and first of all I'm, I'm over Facebook altogether and nobody in their life needs another Facebook group to be a part of so I, I bailed on that pretty quickly but this this platform that I found that I end up using essentially is more than our it's it, if I can describe it it's like rather than having our own Facebook group this platform allows us to basically have our own Facebook uh, and so it's essentially like a, its own social platform that just us are a part of uh, we have everything categorized by topics. So we have like a nutrition, we have, um, we have weekly group calls together that we do via Zoom. That's every, basically like everybody's check-ins. So everybody gets to know each other in the group because we're doing everything over a group call. And so we're, we're hearing from how the guys' weeks are going uh, if, and that they're coaching opportunities with me. 
uh, but they can also post in this community forum if they've got questions. And then also in this platform, I'm, uh, I'm able to do a lot more other calls that throughout the month that we do that are kind of, I think that are pretty fun that just engage us in different ways that aren't just around training. Uh, so we have a book club. We have a book club call uh, that we do every month, uh, reading a book together. We actually just had that call last night. We're going through, uh, we just started A Man at Arms, Stephen Pressfield's newest novel. And uh, so we started reading that and we, we do that call. We do a couple of mindset calls every month that are specific if guys are struggling with, you know, how do I stay motivated or where am I slacking? Like these kind of things, if they need a little bump in the mindset, we do nutrition only calls. Um, and then actually this most recent month in May, we had a guest speaker who was a friend of mine in, uh, he's actually on my podcast. His name is Hanse Bolden. He's a former special operations soldier. Uh, he's actually in Iraq right now because he's doing some contracting work over there. Uh, but he came on and spoke to us for about an hour about habit forming and, and all these kind of things. So every once in a while, we'll bring in people to do just like extra stuff. So I'm, I'm really doing my best to try to create that sense of community that like, I want it to feel like all of us are hanging out together and we're able to be in the same place, even though none of us, I think out of the, we've got about a 15 guys in this program right now. And I think only two of them live in the same state. And so we're spread out everywhere. And so, you know, you're managing time zones, you're doing all this stuff to try and get everybody on a call together. And sometimes not everybody's able to make it, but you know, we're, we're checking in on each other and the guys are building relationships with each other. It's not just them with me, which is the whole point of creating that group and that accountability tribe. And so uh, with all that, it, it, it's ended up taking on a lot more than just the programming in the last couple of years. Uh, and mainly that probably has to do with more of the, the guys that are attracted to the stuff that I do and what we want to work on. You know, there are guys that are strong and, and have come from an, an area of athletics in the past. Um, but also there's some guys that like really never got into it, but are just ready to be healthy, you know, for their families, healthy and strong for their families. And they just need some group accountability. And so we attack it more from a lifestyle and a habit forming process rather than just here's the X's and O's of your training. I do all of that as well, but that is a much smaller percentage than on my end what it used to be. Wow. Well, there it is. Every podcast of an Owen Wilson. Wow. Oh <laughs> it never fails. Never fails. That's good. I, I know my listeners are rolling their eyes by now. It's what, 20? This is episode 29. Oh, yeah, this is every fucking guest episode. Um, <laughs> talks about that or some, you know, great conjunction thing or whatnot. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the transition. I mean, life is a series of transitions. They used to have, like, a running yeah. narrative bitching. Like, oh, I'm just in this nasty transition right now. I'm just in that. Life is a transition. My, I mean, at least yeah. my life, especially the past year plus, has been one gigantic transition. Totally. Um, and it seems to me that you sort of sequenced that very effectively. You, you made all you made just the right length steps in each step that you took, um, and you're sort of now you're iterating it to be to feel more holistic, to feel more natural, to feel like you're all in the same room despite not being in the same state. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, you know, yeah, I, I oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, it's been a challenge to get it to that point because, like I said, it's I've failed far more than I've ever succeeded <laughs> putting stuff together. 
right? And I still look at this stuff now as how can I change? Where can I evolve in these areas? How can I make this better? I'm like constantly asking the guys, like, what else do you need from me? Like, what other things can can make this group pop and and make it something special that we do? You know, you know, I never, and, and that's the other thing, I never want people to, I, I, and I don't know why I thought of this uh, when I did, you know, a handful of years ago, because it goes against what a lot of trainers that I've interacted with kind of believe about training their clients. And a lot of people share a similar sentiment as I, but there's many that don't. Uh, I never want to train someone forever unless they just like love me and just want to hang out and, and, and continue to get stuff from me. Like, that's great. I never want them to feel like they need me forever. You know, I, my, my goal is to, especially with guys that come from zero health and fitness background, you know, they're just trying to get healthy. They've never really lifted weights like that kind of stuff. Education is a huge part of it for me. And, and the accountability obviously is huge, but I want them to get to the point where they feel confident enough where they're like, man, you know, it's been two years or maybe it's even been, you know, eight months or whatever it's been. I feel really good about this. I'm going to, I feel good about doing this on my own for a while. And uh, I, I'm confident in myself to, to be able to succeed on my own. Like that is the biggest like success I can, I can have as what I do. It was what I perceive I do is like someone telling me that they don't need me anymore. Like not because I don't want to work with the people, but because that means I've done my job in, in building them up and giving them the confidence to do things on their own. And it's not just about like, I need clients forever because clients come and go all the time. Like I, you know, the guys that I work with right now, I, I wasn't working with any of them a year and a half ago. And so, you know, in a year and a half, I might not be working with any of these dudes. Uh, but we all go through these phases where if I can swing into their life for a little while and give them what they need and build them up and help them to grow and feel successful on their own, like that's, that's it for me. That's such a healthy approach as a coach. Because, I mean, especially coming from the combat sports world, you, you, have, you have two very stark kinds of coaches. You have mm -hmm. the coaches of, uh, you're leaving me? Are you serious after everything you've been through? Or yeah. kind of coach where, and typically when you see an athlete, like especially a combat sports athlete, leave a coach, it's always temporary. Right. So like, we'll tell the coach, like, hey, I think I need to train with this guy for a while. I think, you know, I need to develop a certain mindset that he's appealing to, not even mm. just in the way he's coaching, in the way he's holding the pads, not the combination that he's calling out, not the way he's running sparring, but mm -hmm. just sort of the personality mm. mesh there. Yeah. Like, you can you can you can be paired with the greatest coach in the world, right? And not get anything out of them because it's just a mismatch. It's a personality Absolutely. mismatch, it's a methodology mismatch, it's a communication mismatch, it's an environmental mismatch by the yep. way the coach crafts the environment. And mm -hmm. that's, that, that's important for a lot of athletes or just, you know, people who are trying to get in shape to know, be able to recognize and say, you know, this is clearly effective, but mm -hmm. don't think it's optimum or how we just, the, the original piece was, you know, life not being optimal. But I think this is more positive sense in the board in terms of optimal, meaning that it's not optimal for the sake of comfort. It's really just optimal for the sake of progress. Yes. Um, so... That's that's super important to know because I, I remember I, I trained with a few like world class coaches and I was like this just this guy just this guy is clearly the shit at, at, at coaching right but yeah just, just not meshing you know not a fit um, there was one, you know, one one coach I learned like amazing technique from um, he had a crossover Dutch French style and I, I learned an absurd amount of it. but it's really just about learning the 
philosophy of his technique and leaving. Uh, yeah. Because, honestly, he was too happy-go-lucky for me. Like, I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. Like, this yeah. He was French, and I'm like, I can't constantly have this sort of joie de vivre, as he calls it, you know, joy for life in every little movement. Like, that is not me. Like, I, right. I, I, need, I need to tap into that assassin mindset. I need to be completely cold and emotionless. Like, I'm not... I'm yeah. not going to be flowing on there with this big smile. Like that is not me. Um, and it's important to recognize that too, because that you're going to save yourself a ton of time knowing that about yourself. So you you're not going to go through the mistake of wasting a bunch of time with people that aren't what you need. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So you you have those two kinds of coaches in combat sports world, and you, actually you also have coaches who say, mm, I don't think I can coach this part of the game for this training camp for this specific fight i think you need to go over to this guy on the other side of town i'm going to send you over yeah. to him and he'll get you prepped that's the kind of coach you want that's the kind of coach that people don't leave because they're doing that for the athlete right absolutely they're doing that when the athlete has that sense like mm, this part of my game i feel like i'm not really working the best best here the coach is having that instinct before the athlete has it and yep. that's that that's that's a next level kind of coach um so I think that that's, that's really healthy your approach because, you know, a lot of people will really would want to just rest on their laurels. Like, mm, I have all these clients. This is going really well. I have good income. I don't want anyone to leave. You mm-hmm. know, that lack of progress within themselves, that lack of longing for growth within themselves is manifesting and mm-hmm. losing clients and then them being like, what, you're leaving me? Um, so, <laughs> right. And, and that, that should be the goal. That should be... Um, that, that, that should be and, and unless you have a coach and there are coaches out there who are just so on the forefront on like either innovating or learning yeah. new methodology to the point like well, why would i leave this guy has everything right here continuously that'd right. be a good reason to stay especially if you're, yeah if it's if it's not just a health check mark for you it's like really like a passion um yeah or you're trying I, to get that extra like that extra one percent you're okay. gonna you know for for and that's like the the top of the top level like if, if we're talking you know to make it like a powerlifting example like some dudes train for 18 months to gain two and a half pounds on a deadlift yeah. you know like those types of things like you need to ride it out with a certain guy because they've got like their methods take time kind of a situation you know and they've obviously built up a relationship over years of being with you like they can understand how you're recovering and like you know they understand your body language and all these things and they can make adjustments and that's actually you know what coaching is when it comes down to it it's so little of it is the actual programming it's knowing your athlete or your client I mean, like, that's what it's a relationship. So it's knowing what is best for them in that moment. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how are you tailoring all of these methods, right? Yeah. That, that you have in your arsenal. Like, how are you tailoring that to their specific yeah. needs at this given moment? Absolutely. Uh, like, I, I, my, you know, my, my first really successful, like, I, my, I mean, so my, my, my coaching background, it's, it's similar to you in the sense where it's like really like me bouncing around and like learning from people. Because when, yeah. I, when I'm, I, I started my, my coaching or my my fitness journey. Oh, I hate that word fitness. I think of the foam rollers and fit tees. You know, that's why I'm constantly pushing on the term strength and wellness. You know, right. Or that old George Hackenschmidt quote strength yes. can be the force of health. You know, I love that. Yes. Um, but, you know, I was a, so actually my, my sports were football and track as well. Um, nice. I was a quarterback growing up. Uh, actually, my other sport was soccer, so I was a defensive midfielder and a winger. Um, 
and uh, I was a quarterback. I could throw 50-plus yards at 12 years old when I was a prepubescent boy. My goodness. Um, and then uh, when I came to high school, I've done multiple podcasts. Actually, I did the podcast with KJ. We, we got into this. Um, I didn't even try out for quarterback when I got to this Catholic school because I just couldn't stand the trust fund babies. So mm. I, I, my, my parents were ready to have a Div 1 baby. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I went and tried out for linemen. And no, <laughs> sabotage myself because I looked around at all the trust from babies. I'm like, you know, I could have the starting spot. I could probably be the JV guy, maybe the varsity guy with my arm. If I learned, yeah. the, if I learned the playbook and maybe, you know, put on some pounds, you know, just to be able to take the hits. Um, but I just couldn't do the. I mean, my, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a son of two immigrants. You know, come from very mm-hmm. eclectic background. It's very American, rich white kid. You know, kind of vibe. And it's just mm-hmm. I can't play this part, man. I don't know how to navigate this. Totally. Um, so then uh, I, I got in, you know, me turning this absolute vandalizing, scrapping punk. Um, I needed an individual <laughs> sport, so I got into track, and I was an 800-meter runner. Um, nice. And uh, then, uh, you know, I went back into acting, and then when I when I got to um, when I got to England, when I was in acting school, um, I used what little student loan money I had left to walk into a Muay Thai gym. I threw two punches and a kick and absolutely fell in love. I was like, I I need to do this every hour. Of every yep. Day. Yep. Um, this is the thing. Oh, without a doubt, I was cutting class. It's hilarious. I was, I, uh, I was making Muay Thai jokes. I was kicking the crash pad at for the the acrobatics class in my drama school in London. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. It was it was it was, it. it was so extra. Um, and uh, then I started, you know, dabbling in weights. And then, uh, you know, when I moved back from England, I was broke as shit. So I started harassing you know, these gurus that I came across in gyms who wouldn't talk to anybody, you know, harassed, yeah. uh, you know, powerlifting, bodybuilding guru, and then I found uh, an athletic training guru and a kettlebell guru, um, a conditioning guy. I found a, I found a boxing coach who trained under Custy Amato. Like, I was just finding oh, wow. guys to harass until they trained me, basically, because I yep. had no money. Yep. Like, hey, I'll do whatever you say. You need to be washing your car. I don't care. I just want to be training. Um, and um, so basically, mm-hmm. that was... That's that was how I started until I started doing my own research, and you know I, I would write programs for people as one-offs because I didn't want to chase people like I was saying before. Um, but yeah. I started finding that you know the programming was going well. You know, like dude, I put like twenty pounds in this lift in the past eight weeks. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good, right? They're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess we're doing something right. And um, you know, it eventually got to the point where I wanted to. I actually got certification so I could manage my own strength and conditioning as a fighter, so I wouldn't have to pay someone. Honestly. Oh yeah. So that was my uh, that was my thing, and then you know I just I wanted to start experimenting with other. You know, I wanted I wanted to train guys who weren't just combat sport athletes. So I'm like, all right, let's dabble right. with a field sport athlete. Let's dabble with an endurance athlete. Oh, you want to be a competitive power lifter? I, I think I got something for you. You know. Um, and my my first big successful like six months ahead of time because. The main fun, the main core of my training methodology is actually predominantly from Eastern Europe, um, out of the uh, the sports science school in Minsk. You know, the Soviet, okay, yeah. Soviet weightlifting methodology is probably my core methodology, honestly, even as a sure. athlete. Um, and uh, I planned six months of training for the semi-professional offensive lineman out here in the Bay Area, and he's like, "Well, I'm absolutely mauling people who actually played professional football." I'm like, All right, so this is this is going well. Cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but like that, it's a very you know long-winded way of me saying that 
you know, that sort of relationship. Like, yeah, he came up to me and he said, all right, so I'm going back to the old off-season program. Like, oh, you're a new man. It's time for a new off-season program. It's like, you're telling yeah. me the off-season program won't do anything for me? Like, I'm not going to say it's not going to do anything for you. But it's, <laughs> right. it's, 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 it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be optimal now. Right, uh, right. Now, like, you can do this, this, and this. Your body can take more of a, more of a load here, and your body doesn't even need to do more work here because it's, it's, it's gained this much um, you know, strength in this aspect. Yeah. Um, so that sort of relationship, like that, that recognizing that, like, oh, I can teach you more here, or we can work more here, or I can assess, you know, further in this direction, or you, I've taught you everything that I can teach you. Like that's yeah. like, what, what you're saying is really important for any coaches out there who may be listening. That you know, it's it's almost it's this loose grip on everything as a coach that's super healthy. Yeah, it and like I said, it took me a long time to be comfortable with that because when you're especially when you're starting on your own and all you have is a couple of clients like it 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 hits you hard when one or two of them leave you know like but at that point too i wasn't as comfortable with myself on the business side of things and so i would kind of panic well now what am i going to do like how am i going to get how am i going to get new clients and you know that takes that's a skill in itself like learning how to uh, learning how to go out and market and you know learning how to use the platforms that you have to actually get clients not just to post content right I mean like there's a difference yeah. in those two things when you're doing it when you're doing <laughs> exactly. it as a when you're doing it for content versus when you're doing it for you know sales art you know honestly uh, you you word things differently copywriting I, I studied a ton of copywriting and learning how to craft messages for those purposes. And, um, you know, that takes time. It's a skill, just like anything in the weight room you would do. Like, that's just something that I had to, if I was like, I'm going to do, if I have to do this as a, if I'm going to do this as a career and make this my thing, then I can't just be a coach unless I'm going to plan on working for somebody again, which I don't want to do. Like, I, yeah. I, I fully realize that, you know, I don't do well working for people. And I was never that way as an athlete with a coach. Like I would, you know, and, and I don't know why. Like when I was in a sport and I had a coach, like they were general, right? Uh, I, would, I would go on the battlefield and die for most of my coaches that I had. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and like just what, because. What position did you play in football, by the way? So when I went into, so all through high school, I was running back. Oh. Went, into, went into college and uh, my roommate, my freshman roommate, was also running back and there was actually probably like three or four that came in in my freshman class and so they were going to have to move some dudes around right to fast forward five years my freshman roommate ended up we were, i was at an naia level school so uh not ncaa but you know the the one below that he ended up becoming the all-time leading rusher in all of naia like history touchdowns wow. yards everything so i'm like you know i probably wasn't gonna <laughs> be a running back in college anyways so uh i was there about two weeks and then they moved me over to defense and i played corner uh yes you had some serious pace on that yeah well speed was kind of my thing like i wasn't necessarily the biggest i, I mean i was decently strong for my size because i'm not a big dude i'm like i'm five nine ish on a good day uh <laughs> you know but i could i was fast and you know in college as a running back 
you, you gotta have more than just being fast <laughs> like because you're gonna get you're gonna get the bejesus beat out of you every time you touch the ball and most plays you, when you don't touch the ball as well uh, yeah if you're, especially like you even if you're you know say that you know mercury morris guy who's really evasive you're still gonna get clobbered and if you're an earl oh, campbell yeah. type you know just like where's the hole i'm gonna go straight through with three guys grabbing my legs like well, yeah. and I was like, I was, I was playing, you know, I could go north, south and run downhill pretty well, but like I was the Barry Sanders type. Like I was just freaking dancing everywhere when I was, and I was like, that works in high school. It does not work in college. And so they're like, you're fast and you have decent hands. Like we're going to move you over the corner and, and do that. So I ended up just rolling with defense for the next year or so. And then, like I mentioned before, it just, it was, became too difficult to do both sports uh, and school and, you know, like try to sleep at any point and so i don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what that is but whatever <laughs> right and so i made the call to to stop playing ball and just go all in with track uh for a couple of reasons but also because you know uh my i think my body would thank me for it later on in life not sticking with getting just destroyed every day for five years in a row uh, and that was pretty fairly evidenced by a couple of my friends that by the time we were seniors would stroll in, they were wide receivers, right? Just getting crushed all the time. And they'd stroll in looking like 70 year old dudes into the training room to like go get ready for practice. Like, liter like literally just like holding on to the door jam when they walk into the room and like hobbling over to the training table, getting the ice bath. And like, I'm like, yeah, I think I made the right call. And like, I'm like springing my step. I'm, you know, I'm going to throw javelin that day and I'm like feeling great. Like, I think I made a good decision here. Yeah, this is, this is probably, like, like somewhat, because you, you see, like, modern recovery now, it's just, like, that's one of the things where oh, it's completely been game changers, right? Back then, like, None when I was a track athlete, is like, well, have you iced it? Like, yes, like, you're the trainer. You got to tell me something besides <laughs> ice it, all right? It's like, well, here's the ice bath. Go sit in that for 30 minutes. And it was just like, and I know dudes that would like come in after practice and they would go sit in a 50 degree ice bath and literally fall asleep because they were like that wrecked. And like, it wasn't, they, they didn't phase them at all. And like, they would just sit in that ice and just fall asleep. I'm like, that's probably, you know, in my head, I'm like, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> not that they're falling asleep, but like that they're so beat, they can't even adapt to the, like the cold exposure that they're in right now. <laughs> you know, like. There's a lot of nervous system stuff going on right there. They are just fried. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like a lot, a lot of training for field sports has gotten advanced too. Like the way they practice, it's yeah. like a lot. I mean, you know, less contact sports. Like you know, I mean, I've seen some nasty hits in soccer, but like oh yeah, for the, for the most yeah. part, like they can be they can be sprinting up and down the pitch. You know, for practice, like it's nothing. That's that's one thing, right? Um, yeah. But you know, football and rugby like some of the or, okay boxing and muay thai like my first yeah. gym is nothing but hard sparring like first liver kick i'm on the ground i'm like oh, what? i didn't even know what that was I'm like what is that <laughs> am i dying <laughs> i was like i got kicked in the balls practically and i have food poisoning that's what this feels like jesus christ right. um so it's like you know it's like maybe you know destroying ourselves when it doesn't matter is yeah. probably not the best idea well and not only that but like there are some guys that do it because they love it, which is great. But the guys that are going to be fine are the guys that were built to handle it regardless. Right. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a certain type of guy that's going to go in there and it doesn't matter how much or how hard he gets hit. Like he'll walk out and be fine. Like some guys that just love it and want to be a part of it are the ones that probably shouldn't be because just body type wise, they're going to get wrecked 
And like, I saw so many injuries and like guys that just have effed up things forever because they held on and they just wanted to be a part of it, which like there's, you know, there's some admirable stuff about that and just being part of that team and not wanting to give that up, which I get. Uh, but you know, you have to make choices that like you're going to sacrifice some stuff if you want to stick this out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's yeah. Especially with the body damage concussion, like, uh, well, I don't think anyone's, you know, <laughs> so someone's got yeah. some, some steel encasing in their cranium. I don't, uh, I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think no matter how tough you are, basically, you're going to be lasting through. Dude, that. I can remember, I mean, I know for a fact I had one in college, but like this was before the protocols even. I mean, like I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not even 30, I'm 29. So like this wasn't that long ago, you know, in, yeah, in like, I, when I was retrospect. In, I, yeah, when I was in high school, like these things were kind of coming up. It's just like, oh, walk it off and be fine. Like Brett Favre's dad, he had that he had that fallacy with that, that fallacy, that whole policy with him since he was a coach. It's just like, yeah. well, if you uh, if you can't if you can't walk off the field, limp off the field. Right. You can't limp <laughs> off the field, crawl off the field. You can't I, crawl I, off the field, then I'll come get you. Like, exactly. I like I tell this story. Like I know for a fact I had a couple concussions in high school, playing, and one of them. So my I was you know like I said I was running back. My best friend was quarterback. And uh, we were pretty good. We made all the way to state championship when I was a junior. Like, we were a good team. You know, I'm not one to, like, you know, try to relive high school days by any means. But it was fun. And, uh, (laughs) like, I I remember one game, uh, I was just, we were were running out of a shotgun position. And he ran me out on a little swing route, threw me the ball, made, like, one move, and just got my bell rung. Like, and I could hop up from most things pretty well. You know, you kind of have to when you're running back to let them know that you're not, like, hurt or like a girl you know (laughs) and uh and so i hopped back up and i literally like couldn't see and like my vision was crossed and like it was the heaviest one i've ever taken and and we were doing like a two minute drill like closing out at half or something like that and so like we're running to the ball to get going like no huddle that whole kind of thing and i'm like i'm running he's yelling at the plays we have wristbands that have our plays on them and uh i'm like yelling at him and uh, he's like, line up over here. And he's like, and he's like yelling at me. He's getting ticked at me. Like, he's my best friend. So it's like the only person on the field I can feel like I can get in his face and yell out. Right. And so like, <laughs> I, he lines me up and I'm like, literally can't see. And he, I, I asked him what the play number was because like, I literally couldn't read it on my wrist. And he yells the number. I don't remember what it was. And I look down and I just knew that because of what the thing was that he was going to throw me the ball again. And I'm like, dude, do not throw me the ball. I can't see. I look at him like, I, Cameron, I can't see. And he's like, whatever. And like, he hikes the ball and I just run and he freaking throws me the ball again. And uh, by some miracle, I caught it. And I, the second I caught it, I took two steps and literally just dove to the ground because I'm like, if I get hit again, I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> there's no way I'm getting hit again. So like, I just bail to the ground. I'm like, you get just off. executive decision, check down your quarterback. You're like, exactly. this wasn't supposed to be a check down, but guess what? It's a check down. Oh my God. I was so ticked. Like I was so mad when they threw me the ball again. So like, I, I get up, and I, like run over the coach. I'm like, take me out. I can't see. Give me a quarter. Like it was almost half. I'm like, I'm coming back at ha- after half. I'm like, I'm, I'm so pissed right now. <laughs> but like those things, like. I want. I keep, I always wonder, like, if I would have had several more of those in college with the dudes that were that level hitting me at that hard and that fast, like, it's scary stuff, man. You know, and in combat sports, like you're doing that stuff, like, it's real. You know. Oh yeah, that's that's. I I don't hard spar anymore. Like I I enjoyed hard sparring. Like I love being a meathead as much as the next guy. Right. Uh, you know, I I love that. Like, oh man, I'm gonna have a chew move. <laughs> one of the places I trained people didn't even have like a proper ring as a floor ring, and you know. 
two two sides of that were facing a stone wall. And yeah, you know, I, I'm a Muay Thai and fire and kickbox, and there were some boxes in there. And you know, this French coach is like, I thought your hands are terrible. You went to box five times a week. And I was like, yeah, fuck you. I don't want to box five times a week. And obviously, you know, he's doing that because, you know, I, I asked him, like, I won't do anything to get better. He says that. I'm like, oh, gee, I needed to say that. He's like, right. I thought your kicks are fantastic. Your knees are fucking brutal, you know. Uh, your elbows, you look know, got somewhere like any other than the next guy, but your hands are terrible. I'm like, I was like, yeah, whatever. So he puts me uh-huh. in with like this pacey, you know, um, real Mexican style boxer. And I'm just like getting clobbered. Um, and I'm just like trying to straight punch. I'm like, get away from me. And I'm in the corner and I'm getting my head bounced against the stone wall. And I was enjoying the fuck out of it. Like, this is awesome. Um, you know, like, I, I enjoy this kind of pain stimulus. But um, so I knew funny. that, like, if I, want a, a long, if I want a long career in this, it doesn't make sense to hard spark. Yeah, there's a point where everybody hits the point where you're like, hey, I need to do this a little smarter, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Amir Khan could have taken the boxing world by storm but he, he just developed this glass jaw and they're like where did that come from like he wasn't yeah. really getting hit that bad and they're like oh yeah he has he's had like 300 plus just gym wars in the past yeah. year yeah. Um, so it's just you know you, you, you need to be able to upgrade the software without damaging the hardware you know? yeah totally yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, I, I tell people, like, hey, if you're going to hard spar, like, I will whack you and then get the fuck out. I'm not doing it. <laughs> right. um, so either lighten up or get the fuck out. Um, yes. Because I want, I want my damage to be towards something that matters. I want it to be in a title fight. I'll take damage in a title fight. I'll, I'll, right. I've, I've already made peace with that sacrifice. I never made peace in making that sacrifice in practice, you know? Right. Um, totally. But, um. Shift, so shifting gears, I mean, we, I think you and I could just trade just nonsensical meathead stories. Stories, like, know. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, but you, you started, I mean, I think people really want to hear this too, any coaches listening. It sounds like you really spearheaded the, the business aspect of being a trainer. Mm. You, can you speak more on that? Because I feel like a lot of coaches don't even know really know where to start. Like, I want to go into business myself, and then there's crickets. Like, or I'm just going to get as many clients as I can and see what happens. Like, what, yeah. what does that mean to you, and what was that process, that learning curve like for you? Well, it wasn't much different than I would imagine a lot of coaches experience that at the beginning, where they just fight it because, you know, I'm a coach. I'm not a, I'm not a salesman, right? I'm a coach. I'm, that's my thing. Right. And I thought the same thing, too. And like I said, you know, when <clears throat> I made the, the call to, to go out on my own, it did not take very long before I'm like, okay, well, I got to learn this somehow. Otherwise I'm not going to be having any clients. Like, right. you know, like you can try and say, I'm not a salesman, but if you're not selling people, then you're not training anybody. And if you're doing it on your own, right. you know, I wasn't getting that constant feeding from the guys who were selling at the corporate gym. Right. You know, they're the ones that are doing the selling and they give me the clients like that, the, that dichotomy there, that, you know, dynamic didn't exist anymore. And so you, you learn kind of by just getting thrown into the deep end, especially by the way I did it. There are a lot of ways that, you know, <laughs> I've worked with some coaches that they're like, you know, you should do this stuff and kind of make it your, you know, they say side hustle, right? Like right. You know, build this on the side, keep, and then when you've got like three months of stuff saved up, then you, then, you know, you can give yourself 90 days to go all in. And I'm just like, one day I came home and I found this. Uh, like I said, boutique studio, she was going to charge me rent. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to put in my two weeks here tomorrow, tell my wife this. And, uh, and then I'm just going to go on my own. And it was like, <laughs> she's like, uh, okay. Which was amazing. Cause you know, like she's been super supportive of the whole thing, which was just been incredible. Like if I'd done it by myself, 
probably wouldn't have gone the same way, right? And uh, or had been with anybody else, probably wouldn't have gone the same way. And so she was just like, yeah, cool. I, I trust you and go do your thing. And so I'm like, all right. So I went in with no plan, really, which, you know, that's, that's awesome. just, I, I do that with a lot of kind of big decisions, which I don't know if I recommend to a lot of people, but uh, I kind of just float in this thing is like, I'm going to just make the decision and figure it out on the way and learn what works and what doesn't. I kind of say, you know, ready, fire, aim is what I like to say. Nice. And, uh, you know, there are probably some things I should do a little bit more due diligence with but a lot of those things a lot of stories like that in my life i've just been from me making just decisions when i'm like yep that's what it is i'm done i'm doing it uh so as i transition into this mindset of like okay i need to be a business owner what are the things i even need to know right and honestly there uh, there wasn't anything that i went and figured out on my own i and it's the reason that i am the profession that i am and believe in it so strongly but i went and found a coach and uh someone specific to business and I've worked with several over the years and they just came at different times in my life I needed different things you know kind of like you were talking about before I was just I needed different things from different people at different periods in my life mm-hmm. uh, and so the, the first one that I worked with was very helpful for me in just understanding the foundations of business you know like getting yourself legally covered right like filing all the paperwork correctly with the state uh, you know, LL filing LLCs, learning all the legalese, all of that kind of stuff. Like things that I, I knew existed, but didn't have any real comprehension of. Um, very helpful in that regard. And then, and then setting up, you know, like some basic uh, marketing ideas. At the time, I was really heavy into Facebook. You know, this was 20, late 2015 or so. Uh, really heavy. In- still use Facebook before. Yeah, it was, it was it was still when like Instagram was big, but it wasn't like the only place everybody was like it kind of is right now. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, Facebook was huge and Facebook ads were huge at that time still like people were just kind of now figuring out Facebook ads. Um, I didn't do a ton of paid ad work, um, but I was just learning some of these things along the way. And they helped me get a very strong foundation. Uh, which carried me for a couple of years and then you realize you know there's some things that i'm still not doing very well and you need that next level right and so i went and i found um another coach that was a part of a coaching program for about a year uh kind of helped dial in more the mindset piece of the business like what is it that i'm doing in my business now not here's the x's and o's but like what's the reason for all of this stuff um it was a lot more on the you know the internal focus of understanding because if I wasn't understanding what I was doing, how am I going to communicate that to anybody else that would want to find me and work with me, right? Right. Because if it's just about workouts, like, just do a Google search, man. Like, you don't need me if I'm just going to give you workouts. <laughs> like, there are workouts, there are no fewer than 10 billion workout programs online for free. Yeah. And uh, if it's just Great about that. Great new hustle on bodybuilding.com, bro. <laughs> totally. And yeah. it's like... Uh, you don't need me for that. Like if you want accountability, you want coaching, you want to build a relationship with somebody, then like that's what I'm for. But I had to understand what I was offering so I could understand how to message it. And that was a lot more of what I did with my second coach. And uh, it was immensely helpful. That was really kind of when I took a big turn in understanding what it was that I do. I wasn't just training people and giving them workouts. Like I had a method now and I knew how to communicate that method. And then uh, the, the most recent one that I worked with was when I made the call to go online. And he was a coach that specifically dealt with online businesses. 
So I, I mean, I knew I needed that because it's a, di- it's a totally different animal altogether. Uh, from how you how you structure your day to like you know not get because honestly it's really hard to not get sucked into a screen all day when your entire business flows through that screen. You yeah. know when I was in the gym, I could spend my whole day not being on the phone at all because I was working with clients every hour of the day, right? Uh, but when you're and and so a lot of it came down to how do I structure my day to where I can still be maximally maximally productive, uh, but still get you know, the things that I need done and not be attached to the devices, the screens and like not get lost in what is so easily capable of getting lost in, you know? And so it was, that it was so helpful for me because when you're doing something and, and you know, I actually am not super pumped that 85% of my business flows through Instagram. I'm trying to make that transition to diversify a little bit because, you know, as we've seen over the last year, Instagram could just one day decide like, I don't like your stuff anymore and I'm taking away all your accounts, you know? And if they do, that's a huge chunk of what I do right now. And so I'm trying to get it into the way where I can do more stuff through my email list. And, you know, like this, this group platform that I mentioned earlier, that's, you know, I control it. There's nobody else that controls that. And so uh, that way Instagram can do whatever they want. Facebook can do whatever they want. Lately, you know, they can decide one day that something I said ticks off whatever college kid is their fact checker and they delete my whole account. (laughs) But and if that's the case, it won't matter if I can get it to where I'm working on it right now. Um, And so honestly, the biggest piece of advice, I mean, there's nothing that I can tell you that is anything that I've figured out, really. I've just learned from a lot of people. It's the same with training. Like I was around really smart coaches, really smart people that helped guide me along. And it's the same with business. Like if you want to do things faster, learn the ways to not do them, I would seek out a coach for the same reason that you would if you were trying to lose weight or gain muscle or whatever it was. Like you realize that there's something that you just can't do on your own. And that's where coaching is is so beneficial. And I've worked with three amazing ones and they've all you know, basically done their part in my life. Um, I'm actually probably going to go back to the one that I most recently was with here this summer just because he's got some stuff that he's working on in the online space that is really appealing to me. So um, I'll pop in, you know, spend six months with him and and get what I need and and then bounce and try and work on it on my own for a while. Yeah. So your main line of advice to coaches is like sort of outsource and like look for a guru to sort of impart upon you that knowledge and how it applies to your specific business model or vision that you have for your either in-person or online business any day absolutely and I, I and i can make this analogy now that i've been in it for like you know such a relative small amount of time for what it is but i started and me and you've talked about it i started training jujitsu back in february and i i have come from absolutely zero martial arts background at all um and the, in the sports that i did in high school i told you i was doing football so i wasn't wrestling so I didn't even come from any of that. Uh, but everything that I've learned so far in the first handful of months, you know, it's it's so long when you're a white belt and a blue belt even, it's just about like hammering home the, the foundations of, of the martial art itself, learning the positions, learning the leverages, learning how to do all these certain things. And then when you get to become a purple belt and above is when you can begin to start adding in your own little flair to it right? Like something that you've taken from all of these people you're learned from, you're like, this is a little bit more style and you're a little bit, you, you get to be a little bit more creative, right? Like you don't really get to get to that creative space until you've built 
the foundation of understanding of these are the principles that all of this stuff applies to. Now that you understand these, now you can play with them a little bit and, and have fun with them and kind of make it your own. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and so I, I can make that analogy now to jujitsu because I'm in the middle of it and I'm, you know, I'm obviously a white belt still. Um, I do have one stripe, which I was pumped about. I did not see that coming. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's just been... Jiu-jitsu gets everybody. Like when people start doing jujitsu, like, bro, I got my first stripe. Like, <laughs> and it, so like people, when I, people obsess about it. Dude, I got it that morning and I'm like, okay, this is it now. I guess I'm in. <laughs> like, I just, I just had that moment where I'm like, okay, this is the, this is the thing. And that, and that was kind of cool. Like on a tangential thing uh, as well. I haven't really done anything competitive like that since college. And so I, you know, you train just to train and train to be healthy, but it's different when you're training for something like that. Yeah. And so it, it kind of just lit a little fire that I didn't know was extinguished. And when I started rolling with people and I get that stripe, I'm just like, dang, this like stirred up some stuff inside of me. Like I am ready to kind of dive into something like this again. Um, and so, yeah, to bring it back to the business side thing, though, like it, it takes some time, just like anything, but learn the foundations first, learn how to operate a business from like the legal standpoint, from the accounting standpoint, um, all of these things, you know, you're going to have to pay taxes, like all that stuff exists. And so you've got to learn all of that. You can't just like, I mean, I guess you could just take cash under the table for the rest of your life, but you know, I don't know how sustainable that is. Um, but once you learn all those, away, but, yeah. <laughs> but dude, like, I'm honestly, I, <laughs> there's a lot of people right now that like, that seems kind of appealing. I don't want anybody else knowing how much money I'm making. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, just learn all the foundations first. And if you can, if you've got, I mean, and especially now, I mean, I, all the coaches I've worked with have been virtual. There isn't any business coaches in my area that I've that I've worked with. So I mean, it's easy to find somebody that you can learn from. And if it's something like if you're if you're looking at making coaching a career, I I think it's kind of a non-negotiable. Like you've got to have somebody set you up with the with the proper foundations and and help guide you along the way. Because other than that, you're just going to spend so much wasted time trying to figure all that out on your own. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could have learned my knowledge actually. I accelerated my knowledge base when I actually started like actively researching. Um, I, I did a lot of certifications. Honestly, I didn't. I had this conversation with Flo Modus. Um, he, has, yeah. he has a degree in exercise science. He's like, and he's like, which means absolutely yeah. fucking nothing. Um, to, to Seriously, cool does nothing. Yeah. Um, he's just like, I wish I did my degree in something else because I literally learned like all of the actual training knowledge I used on my own. Um, yep, same with me. Yeah, it's uh, I have the certifications just to like have that initial little warm and fuzzies for people, right? But you know, <laughs> no, no, nowhere in my certification did it have me trying to get translations of Russian documents on sports science, you know? Vergashansky. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Me, just me, just like reading hours and hours and hours. I'm like, what? Like, yep, exactly. Um, those guys. I mean, I, I I quote this statistic a lot, but. The Soviet Union still has far more Olympic medals in weightlifting than any other country, and they haven't been a country for 30 years. <laughs> Which is right. just absurd. Like, That's crazy. Um, and everyone, everyone thinks it's because of the, you know, the drugs, and you know, every country finds a way to get around the drug policy. That's just the way it goes. Some people get caught, yeah. some people don't. But the endocrine system still has to follow a certain set of principles, regardless yeah. of whether you're on steroids or not. That's the thing people don't understand. 
Well, and the other thing is, like, it wasn't an unlevel playing field. Like you said, everybody was doing it. So they were competing against every other country that was also doing it. So exactly. it wasn't like they were just juiced out of their minds going against everybody who wasn't. It's like the, it's like the Lance Armstrong thing. Like, yeah, exactly. Lance Armstrong is all that stuff, but so was every other cyclist in the race for, like, decades. And so it actually was a level playing field. <laughs> yeah, he, he really is that good. Because he, was just the be- he was just the best at doping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Like, are you the best cyclist or are you the best at doping? That's the <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, like with, it's like with it's like with all those sports. though, if you look at like late ninety, like late nineties, early two thousands baseball, right? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Like with, with I mean, <laughs> first bomb. of all, first of all, I don't know if baseball has ever been more fun to watch than it was during that time period. Like, it was so. I mean, like people, it was must see TV. Like Barry Bonds coming to bat, people would like ditch the like the news would leave the news and go to Barry Bonds at bats. Like it Dude, was I, insane. I, I, I grew up in. I'm still. I, I try not to be into sports ball. I'm trying to be like, yeah, sports ball, stupid focus on your life. But then I'm like, mm, man, the Giants are looking good this year. Pitching rotation doesn't have any stars, but, you know, it's really solid. Um, dude, I grew up like getting into fights with Dodgers fans, which is stupid. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. like, just died in the hole, screaming at the top of my lungs when, when we won our first year in San Francisco in 2010. I was just like, But if you think about it from, like, a performance standpoint, right, like, Barry we start juicing and there was a pretty obvious like you know picture to picture transition of when that started with him yeah and like most of those guys started eating more wheaties like oh yeah, when he okay, was yeah. when he was in pittsburgh he, i mean he looked like a normal dude right right uh and but he was still the best hitter in the league before mm-hmm. that absolutely and maybe and maybe ever like in terms of pure hitting ability Good and job. so like that taking those things didn't make him a good hitter it just made it where his ball carried a little farther when he made contact. or And not even that, necessarily. It just made it where he could recover from the insane training that he was doing so he could just train more exactly. and get bigger and feel better and not be busted up all the time. And so, Because pe- like, people, people think baseball isn't that hard. Dude, you're playing 165 games a year. That's a grind. You're playing every day for seven months. Yeah. Like in, a, in an actual game environment, not just practice, like where you got to be switched on mentally and do that seven months out of the year. It pretty much six days a week. Yep. It's it's nuts. Plus, the idea of hitting a major league fastball is among the most mind blowing skills I've ever seen in my life. It's it's unreal. It's absolutely like, unreal. And you have to do like, that every single day. And you have to travel like thirty cities across the country, right? That that's yeah. wearing tear on your body. So it's it's a grind. It really is. It's yeah. It's wild. But those guys, oh, yeah. I don't even remember how we got into the doping stuff. But like. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about that era of sports forever. I love that stuff. Oh, I mean, dude, like '90s sports ball hits different, man. Like it really does. De- Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, you know, Taylor, Joe Montana, you know, Brett Favre, Steve Young, Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire, and Barry yeah. Bonds. It was all dude, the even hockey just... was fucking unreal in the night. The great one, man. The great one was still around. He was, and and that that rivalry between uh, the. <laughs> Where the coaches cleared the benches between the, so the red, between uh, who was it? I think it was the Avalanche and the Red Wings. Yeah. Yep. So um, good. Got to the point where both teams had 200 plus penalties, and I'm like, okay, maybe this is getting out of hand. <laughs> Let's end the game now. Yeah. Dude, um, my childhood, man. I can nerd out on that forever. Oh, big time. I'm, 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 see, you and I could go full sports ball and full meat. <laughs> <laughs> We're finding some pretty heavy similarities between the two of us. Oh, big time. You, you me, and KJ should get together. Uh, Seriously. Talk, talk mad shit all night. Um, but, um, 
And so in, in terms of, so have you, have you, okay, so th there's a number of questions that I want to ask you among yeah. other questions that other people have asked me. Because yeah, I always like to trade notes with coaches. Um, so in, back in the beginning of 2017, you know, I had this notion that, you know, a lot of, there was an aspect of fitness that people weren't realizing um, that we had to do with mental toughness and environment and temperature. And I was like, you know, that added, you know, if it's freezing cold and I have to train or if it's very hot and I have to train like that, I feel like that's a different, that's another layer of fitness that people haven't really uncovered. And my mom, like two days later, sends me a book about Wim Hof for the first time. And I was like, I fucking knew it, you know? So that was yes. something instinctual. And that, that seems to be something that you're more tapped into, especially from the land that you come from. Um, yeah. Can you speak on some sort of essentials that have to do with sort of and it's it goes back to your piece too on training outside and the benefits yeah. of switching around your environment and being in nature to train yeah absolutely so when we're talking about exposure right whether it's cold or heat the purpose of that has to do with our nervous system okay uh and to do i, I mean i could do several hours just nerding out on nervous system basics but to bring it in for, for all you guys and your listeners here, uh, essentially our nervous system has, has really two functions. There's some gray area between the two depending on the environment that you're in, but we have our sympathetic and our parasympathetic. The sympathetic is what we traditionally would know as our fight or flight side of our nervous system. Uh, the parasympathetic would, is traditionally known as rest and digest. So there are two things, two basically functions of our body that when we're in either of those states, different things in our body are, are working or not working. Uh, there is some blend in there. It's not so black and white where it's either I'm either fight or flight or I'm rest and digest because environment plays a part, right? Uh, and, the, and the best example I can give is like when you're in the middle, I, I tend to think of it like a, like, a, like a gas gauge in a vehicle where it's like that, that uh, semi-circle shape, right? Right. And the far left part of it is would be your sympathetic. The far right part is your parasympathetic. And that gauge can kind of move back and forth between the two. Mm. Uh, that okay. middle-ish middle area is what we would consider flow state. And uh, that's kind of where it's really kind of the sweet spot for a lot of things in life, right? If we're training, it is, it's where you're just moving. You're, you're, you're not analytically thinking about what you're doing your body is just reacting and it's and it's moving and you and you specifically uh would feel this a lot in the fighting right like and, and we say flow like you're just reacting you're you're in the moment you're breathing you're just completely zoned out and a lot of people use the term zoned out uh because when you're in flow state a lot of times time just kind of disappears right uh, you don't really recognize that it's been 10 minutes of you doing maybe the circuit in your workout and all of a sudden you're, you're done. And that is the sweet spot for a lot of training stuff. Now, there are aspects of being on the extremes that are beneficial. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist, right? So really on that far, on that far side towards fight or flight, uh, flight is like the absolute extreme. If we're thinking of like the bear attacking us, right? Your instinct is not to fight the bear. Your instinct is to run the F away from the bear. Right. That is flight. Fight actually needs to pull in a little bit of flow into that middle gray area because you need to be able to still analyze situations and react to things that are happening in that moment, right? So you're not on the far extreme when you're in fight. 
fight, you're actually still making decisions, right? And then if we go the other direction, and we're talking about parasympathetic, we're talking about rest, digest. So this is where, honestly, most humans need to be in parasympathetic most of the time. Our systems are not very well adapted to handle what we essentially live in now, which is low levels of chronic stress all the time. Yeah. Right, we are kind of like low that slow burn that you don't realize is destroying you. Like exactly, time. and just from not not even just from a mental side, but from a physiological standpoint, stress actually has a very detrimental effect on our bodies, uh, especially if we're not dealing with it in correct ways. And so, what we've tended to just adapt as our lifestyles with work and and taxes and jobs and all these kind of things is we kind of live very low sympathetic all the time, right? Even while we're sleeping, most people don't sleep very well because they're still in sympathetic state of uh, their nervous system. So to tie it into the Wim Hof stuff, the reason he became so popular other than him just being a crazy old Dutch dude that can climb a mountain in his shorts, he (laughs) tapped into this idea that we can control which function of our nervous system we're in using our breath. And it's essentially, and it really is. I so you said 2017 was when you started getting into Wim, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so the first time I ever heard him was he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast in October of 2014. Mm. And uh, I remember driving to because I was working at the corporate gym at the time, <clears throat> and I was training somebody at like 5 a.m. So it's like 4:30, and I'm driving there. And uh, it was one of the, and I remember this so vividly. It's fun, again, it's funny things you remember that lead to certain things in your life. Um, <clears throat> my client ended up canceling on me on my way to the gym at 4.30, which is annoying. It happens when you work in a corporate gym. Uh, as I'm listening to this podcast on the way, I was actually kind of grateful that <laughs> the dude bailed because I just sat in the parking lot and listened to the entire thing and listened to this guy talk about this. And I'm like, this is mind-blowing to me. And so I went out and bought his book, which at the time his book was, I think it's like Becoming the Iceman or whatever it's called. And wasn't very well written, honestly. Like uh, you could tell it it kind of sounded like one that he maybe just wrote and didn't edit and published, right? Like, and and so, uh, but it had a lot of good concepts. But then he started doing stuff with a coach that I have learned a massive amount from uh, by the name of Brian McKenzie. Mm. And uh, he used to do, he was the one who created CrossFit Endurance. Uh, which became power speed endurance, which is now called shift state. Um, but he went really down a lot of the rabbit holes with breath stuff. And I learned massive amounts from him, took several of his coaching courses and I'm art, I mean, I'm art of breath certified. Uh, but this idea of being able to use your breath as essentially your body's remote control to manipulate what state of your nervous system you are in changed my life. And most people like I said, live in this chronic state of stress, right? But we can do something as simple as a box breathing exercise, which is oftentimes the one I start everybody on because it's the simplest. Uh, So if we're going to do it, it's uh, inhale, hold, exhale, hold on empty lungs. And you do that for an equal amount of time for say five minutes, right? So if we do a four second inhale, a four second hold, a four second exhale, and a four second hold on empty lungs, that's a box breathing round. You just do that for five minutes. That is gonna deeply activate your parasympathetic side of your nervous system. And that, most people haven't even experienced that, honestly, in, in years in some cases, uh, which is why like 
sleep is such a big thing for me when I work with people. Like if I could only pick one thing to change about someone's lifestyle, it wouldn't even be nutrition. I would say, let's fix your sleep first. And uh, so we do like these breathing exercises like this prior to bed because it can really help you activate that rest and digest site and people just freaking sleep deeper than they have in a decade when you do this kind of stuff. And <clears throat> that was like the first time I really kind of nerded out on it. And so when you tie that into the exposure stuff, so to bring it back around to what you had originally asked in a long roundabout way to get there, uh, with the cold exposure, like with what Wim does specifically, those extremes on a, sympath on a, on a nervous system level activate that sympathetic nervous system because it's telling you like what the bleep are you doing here right like get out of this ice it's going to kill you and you have the ability to sit in that ice nasal breathe breathe through your nose breathing through your nose actually stimulates the parasympathetic nervous side as well so it tells your body you're fine if you were to get in and start mouth breathing and hyperventilate you're signaling to your brain that something's wrong but if you can sit in that ice and breathe in and out through your nose slowly, you're actually telling your brain, I'm fine. I'm not going to die in this situation. I'm in complete control of the situation. You can actually readjust your nervous system to adapt to that cold. And, and, and there's actually, when we're talking about cold specifically, there's a ton of physiological benefits to it. Um, we're talking about reduced inflammation, like all of these other things. But I love it from the stress management standpoint. Because if you can get into a 38-degree tub of ice water, right, ice floating around you, and stay calm for 10 minutes, there isn't much things in life that can come at you that you can't handle in terms of stress. And so we're learning techniques that are going to carry over to things outside of our life that aren't even health-related, but we're learning them in these super exposure conditions and it's the same with heat like getting into a 200 degree sauna for 20 minutes sucks like it feels good when you're done but it is hard and it's the same principles and if again if you want to go on the physiological rabbit hole dr Rhonda patrick has some amazing research on on sauna benefits for health uh the activation of heat shock proteins and a lot of these things on the extreme exposures actually do make us healthier in the sense that they activate sides and, and express genes in our bodies that help to stave off disease that we had to have hundreds of years ago. Like if, if we were just thrown out into the wilderness, like if, if we were a time machine just came up to your front, most people's front door today said, I'm going to take you back to uh, 1821, 200 years ago, right? And like, just live. It wouldn't be because of the technology that a lot of people couldn't, although that would kill off a lot of people because <laughs> they just don't have the skills. But like just learning Where's the how DoorDash to app, yeah. Exactly. But like just learning how to adapt to the elements, people mm -hmm. can't handle that. No, no, they can't. They, they, they panic. And honestly, their bodies aren't capable of handling those extremes. Because again, like to tie it even back into the post that was at the beginning, we live in 71 degree houses. We get in our climate controlled cars. We drive sitting down the whole way. We get to work in our climate controlled office building. We sit down at work all day. Like everything is exactly optimized to make us comfortable, but not optimized to make us optimal humans. And so that piece of resilience is actually what makes us humans, right? We have the ability to adapt to these things far better than any other species on the planet, which is why we are who we are, right? Uh, and so introducing these things into your your practice is more than just like 
I can handle the cold for a couple minutes. It's giving you tools. So you understand that like, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe you're driving home and maybe you just got fired, right? Or you got a huge fight with your boss or maybe someone died in the family. Like you have the tools to sit there and be like, I can sit here for five minutes. I can breathe in through my nose. I can relax. And then I can make a decision. I'm not going to fly into every situation, just emotional and irrational and feeling off the cuff and I'm huffing and puffing. I'm breathing up into my neck and my chest with my mouth. Uh, I can actually sit and calm and breathe deep into my lungs through my nose. And that, and even just doing that now, if you're listening right now and all you're doing is if you take one thing away and I tell you just to take one deep breath in and out through your nose, you'll realize instantly what I'm talking about. You don't need to do any of these other protocols, but that ability to do that life changing. And then there's like the really deep rabbit holes that you can go down. Like when you're messing with specific protocols, like what wins Wim's Hof, Wim Hof's protocol specifically, or like all these other breath hold manipulations, like stuff like the free divers use and all this kind of stuff, which is more just fun. And I love all that stuff, but honestly, it's very simple for a lot of people. And it's such a powerful thing. It's like one of my favorite things to teach. Mm. So you would say that that's the biggest force multiplier that you come across. I mean, aside from, aside from sleep optimization, um, but they go hand in hand. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's not necessarily like it's a separate thing altogether because understanding, what's, understanding what your nervous system is helps you understand why certain things aren't working in your life. If you, re, if you understand, like, I'm sleeping like garbage, and then you're like, well, I'm also on screens reading uh, CNN until 10.30 at night and I'm fired up and I'm, you know, I'm, and then I try to go to bed. I'm staring at a blue light at night and I'm all fired up because I'm ticked off at what I'm reading. And then I just try to go to sleep. Obviously, you're not going to sleep very well. Like, <laughs> like, I shouldn't have to tell you that. That should be kind of obvious. Uh, but if you can, you know, put the screen down, read a book where you're not getting that blue light in your eyes. And then sit there and for 10 minutes before you go to bed, you can do it in bed for all I care. You don't have to like sit on a yoga mat in lotus position and do this breath work exercise. You can do it while you're laying in bed and just sit there and breathe deep in through your nose. Four seconds in, eight seconds out. Or do a box breathing exercise. Like you'll fall asleep doing it and you'll actually sleep better. And so learning how to use that breath as manipulation was massive for me. And so that's like, like I said, it's one of my favorite things to teach because it's one of the things that you can see immediate impact on when somebody does it. Wow. I mean, I, I have to agree. I first came across box breathing, um, getting from my Navy SEAL workout book by Mark Devine. Yeah, SEAL Fit. Fit. Yep, that's the one. Yep, yep, I have it too. Great book. I, I did the eight weeks of SEAL Fit. That was awesome. Insane volume in that program, man. Yeah, no, it's, I remember the first workout I did. I was trying to do it in a commercial gym and I was like basically dancing around people to like, all right, do a, do a, a sprint. Or the medicine ball, I'm like, I guess I'm doing this on the treadmill, and I'm like going back and forth between push presses, and this person's like, what the right. fuck is this guy doing? Because um, this is like 2014, 2015, when like, you see that stuff in a CrossFit box, and probably, this is when CrossFit was really obnoxious, like, if, if yeah. CrossFit yeah. people could only talk about CrossFit, and they wanted the world to know yep, about yep, CrossFit, yep. so you were seen exactly. doing any CrossFit-y stuff in like a commercial gym, like, bro, stop doing this shit here. Um, the, the, the volume in that book was, yeah, was absolutely unreal. I really enjoyed it. I liked that level of suffering, um, personally. Yeah. Um, I was in the gym two and a half hours every day during that program. Absolutely, um, yeah. It's it's a ridiculous amount of time commitment, too. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a, a warm-up, you know, mobility warm-up, little baseline, then a core compound exercise, then like a, a high rep bit, then a circuit, 
then a run or a, a swim or a rock or a row, yep. and then core work and then yoga. It was like yeah, you're, you're, you're so hitting much. all the marks, but you know, <laughs> prob it's it's. I mean, from what I know now, if I'm trying to like train, if if you're trying to have like general fitness, I don't really rip on CrossFit done right. Um, yeah, totally. Like, if you have an hour, you want to do everything, you want a good community, right? And you, yeah. not, each attribute is going to get diminished by the fact that you're doing all of them at once, right? You're still going to get some some advancement in each. Like, you're going to get an advancement in strength, you're going to get an advancement in muscle endurance, in uh, cardiovascular endurance. Um, but, like, if, you, if you're really trying to, like, isolate each of those attributes, you're going to do them in a periodized routine. Like, I have all of my... I'm doing a hypertrophy phase. Any hypertrophy workout I have is like 48 hours removed from any totally. hard conditioning session. Otherwise, one of them is going to die, and it's probably hypertrophy. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's it's that that box breathing. Yeah, that I, I found that in the um, in the seal fit book. Like I find that applied to um, you know I just finished doing acting. Um, I might return to acting. To be perfectly honest, I was thinking about nice. today. Um, I think it's actually kind of time, yeah. uh, and I'm moving to Southern California, so there you go. But um, pretty good place to be if you're going to do that. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah, that's definitely <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good spot to do it. Um, but yeah, I um, that box breathing, I was like, wow, I really could have used this, you know, in scene work, honestly. Yeah, um, I could have used this when I really needed to steady myself. Like I had one character when I was doing uh, Jesus Christ Superstar when I was playing. Mm -hmm. like some the, the judas in the 1996 west the, i did not expect this conversation to go here but um <laughs> the, the 1996 the west end cast which is widely regarded as like the best cast ever jesus christ superstar the guy who played judas he had vocal nodules um like he wasn't really the best vocalist but he was such a good actor but it's a vocally taxing part but what he did mm. is he sort of made that gravel part of the, the, the performance and yeah that was so intense that he's literally crawling and the wings to each scene. Mm. Um, I found that like I needed a baseline of calm before I could get to that erratic state effectively and more precisely. But like, there were times where I was getting to the the, the, the theater like an hour and a half before. I'm like, all right, I need to like put on the same Arvo part of the song and <laughs> yeah. walk really slowly. And so when I got this box breathing um, exercise that you're speaking upon, and I agree, it it has massive positive effects in every aspect of life, not just your physical training. I was mm -hmm. like, I really could have used this for sequence. It would save me a lot of time. You right? Know? Yeah. Seriously. Um, it's uh it's 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 a big force multiplier. Um, in terms of force multipliers, how many how much experience do you have with training athletes? Uh, do you just not in like do a little projects, you know, one off football athletes and whatnot or uh, most of the times when it's athletes I actually train with kids. Uh, oh cool. Like, so it's it's very early on in their athletic development. Um, I, and I, and I don't know necessarily why I float towards the concept of, I think it's more, I would rather start and create good habits than fix bad ones, honestly, mm. because it's a totally different approach when you're having someone come, especially athletes that come in and, you know, have experience and think they know what they're doing, but it's not like they don't know my vernacular. They don't know the ways that I coach things. And so it's just like, I don't want to undo everything and spend the time to, you know, make you feel like what you're doing is not what I want. 
just right. so I can build you back up how I want. I would rather start from the beginning and mold the clay from the beginning. You know, so it's not always kids in that realm, but those are the ones that are most often because they come in with, you know, zero experience. I've worked with some guys and a lot, honestly, a good chunk of the guys that I do work with aren't athletes, but they're just guys that come in and want to be strong and lean and healthy, and they, but they've had no experience. And so I love doing that because I can kind of float towards, hey, let's start from here. Build you how we want to build you. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, I I, I see that as being optimal, um, in terms of in terms of training an athlete, like especially a Farasa Hobby, who's the head coach of TriStar MMA in Montreal, the head coach of um, of uh, of George Saint Pierre. Um, yeah. He uh, he was saying so like he when he when he gets someone at the beginning when it comes to kicking, um, he says, I train them kicking, for all four types of kicks. So mm-hmm. that means is I train them kicking Thai, I train them kicking Dutch, I train them kicking uh, like Japanese, mm-hmm. um, and I train them kicking like some you know Korean Peninsula you know Taekwondo style kicking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says if you get a guy who's just like just a Muay Thai guy, he only kicks Thai, right? Or he only kicks Dutch, and he's been doing that forever. It is so hard to teach them. And so he's yeah. like it's almost impossible to try to teach him to kick Japanese. Right. Um, I get so, that. Uh, yeah. That, that, that principle of laying that foundation like early makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. I do like the challenge of um, of working with people who have been doing something completely you know different. I have to like slowly like plant the seed and slowly adjust. I think that might be just honestly coming from the acting background, where it's like yeah. you, get that new, you get that new assignment. And you're like, oh okay, well I was just playing. I mean I remember I went from playing Harold Hill in the Music Man to playing the Pirate King in Pirate right. King. So it's like this really like you know straight lines you know sort of like i'm wearing a suit and i'm talking in the 1930s accent and i'm a music <laughs> man he's a what he's a what and to like doing a borderline jack sparrow like you know just sort of waddling yeah. around and i was like too stiff at first so it's like that that shift of assignment i really enjoy so those transitions i really enjoy but um yeah when you um i guess so I, I love I love training athletes, and I know I rub shoulders with a couple of guys who train athletes. Do you have Do you have any force multipliers in the world of athletics that, across the board, whether they're an endurance athlete, a strength athlete, a combat sports athlete, or a field yeah. sports athlete, that like you, this this athlete could do this exercise or this methodology, or train with this methodology, or train with this added layer of recovery, that no matter what, like it's they're going to see some some increase in their skill set or their increase in their strength and conditioning. In terms of training modalities, I mean, I come from a, like, the generalist is, like, the ultimate athlete, essentially, right? Right. Uh, just because you have the broadest spectrum of ability. Um, and But a lot of times when you're talking about sports stuff, the general, the GPP, general physical preparedness approach, really acts more as a base. Um, but a lot of athletes go in trying to start with the sport specific stuff right mm. so they they dive into training thinking i'm going to do only the things that apply to exactly what i'm doing and they end up losing there's holes in their game basically yeah. uh because they haven't built a foundation and so I, you know in terms of specific stuff i don't know if i could point to anything specifically uh, you know maybe i could a lot of times unless the training in the sport world calls for it a lot of athletes don't do hardly enough rotation based stuff I completely agree. Yeah, it's very, uh, very lateral, very sagittal plane, right? It's up and down, 
where it's side to side. There's no rotation anywhere. And oftentimes it's actually extremely just up and down. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I don't, I don't take that to mean like just go in and start like twisting metal, <laughs> throwing them against the wall day one, but like understand that a lot of things will satisfy that. And, and you know, that's why I've incorporated things like doing Mace 360s uh, or Mace work in general, just being able to apply tension through different positions with my body in different areas. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it helps build strength at different end ranges, which you don't realize you're weak in until you get there. Right. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, that's why I love kettlebell work so much, single arm kettlebell work, because anytime you do a single arm swing, you're adding in a rotation aspect to it. Uh, single arm single arm snatch, single arm presses. You're adding all of these rotation exercise or aspects to the exercise. Um, so those would probably be like, that, I mean, if we're talking about training specifically, I, I generally make sure we're, we're covered on the rotation basis. But then also... A, and, and it's funny because you just posted about it recently just like a base level of conditioning you know like build the engine right it's and people want to jump right to the end result training right and and do the things that the pro athletes are doing not realizing or maybe they do realize and they just don't care that the athletes mm-hmm. been doing this their entire life right they didn't start training the way that they're training right now Right. They did all of the really, really boring stuff for probably a couple of decades until and, you know, and then obviously if they're professional, their God given abilities allow them to do some things that you and I will never do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. people have a hard time especially grasping in the that realm concept of, as well. Especially in the realm of like field sports, like. Oh, yeah. I mean, like there's just mutants out there that uh, that literally just the nobody in alive can ever relate to on an athletic level. Absolutely. I mean, when, when you see, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, when, when you, when you see guys who play like football and basketball specifically, right. It's like, well, yeah, this guy's got either serious hops, right. Or right. just gorgeous handles. Right. It's just yeah. like this guy's been working on his handles since like he was three. So, okay. Yeah. He's a skill-based guy and he's hanging with these freaks of nature. This makes sense. Um, or the, you know, they're absurd jumpers. It's a very specific way to be a freak though. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's not being strong. It's not having ungodly endurance. It's not even being super flexible. It's just like, I'm really explosive in this certain aspect. There was a, uh, there's a podcast called Power Athlete Radio, which is hosted by John Welburn. Player, John Welburn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually got to meet him this last weekend when I was down in South Carolina. So we talked for a little while, which is great. Uh, but he has a saying. He, was a, he played in the NFL. He's a lineman for like 12 or 13 years, whatever. He was talking one time and he said, you know, because of the, you know, if we talk about socioeconomic status, a lot of guys in the NFL come from not great areas, right? So he said, barring some sort of thing growing up where, you know, maybe it's like a, a, a drive-by shooting or something like that that ends their life early, 95% of the guys in the NFL were going to end up in the NFL regardless of what training program they did they, yeah. or, or what coach they had or where they grew up, you know, like, almost everybody there because they're just naturally genetically mutants they're going to get there because they they don't need to do all the other stuff that everybody else has to do to try to play catch up like they're just born i mean like it's annoying but they're literally just born that way and and that's the level of people at the highest level that you're seeing and most people you know we watch them on tv people just don't understand like the level of freak that exists in this world when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. like it's, it's so hard to even fathom. Like imagine even just regardless of what you think about him as a dude, 
the the concept the idea of lebron james existing is unbelievable yeah, it's ridiculous like, six, <laughs> six, 10, 265 pounds lean he's fast he's been doing it for 20 years and he's still as good as he ever was like that's just unbelievable and yeah. so that's like when you're dealing with athletes you know a lot of times you're playing the risk management or the injury management game injury mitigation right because especially if you're dealing with high level guys there isn't honestly much that you're going to teach them that's going to make them better you're right. just trying to make sure they don't hurt themselves and doing right. things in a smart way where they can go out and do what they do best every night or however often it is because if somebody gets hurt on your watch as a coach and you're working with high level dudes it's not their fault it's yours right <laughs> so right. like depending on the level of athletes you're working with and and the the magnitude of the scope of their practice it's it, you got to take that into account so at, at a certain level it switches from performance to now i just keep you safe i make sure our tissues are healthy we're staying strong but it's injury mitigation basically is the game yeah that's that, that makes that makes a boatload of sense to me and it's like yeah when, when you when you see like you mentioned barry sanders it's like what like, yeah how's what? this five six dude faster than everybody on the field and not able to get tackled he's like the smallest dude here yeah, his legs are like the size of missiles. You're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I, I talk about, I mean, Lawrence Taylor might be the greatest football player ever. Like, just I, I don't disagree with that. I, I mean, when you see the rush and when you see the rotation of his hips too, like the way he gets yeah. around guys like to, to rush the passer, I was just like, I was like, look at his my buddy was amazing what are you talking about we watch we watch it with a different ice lens than a lot of people when we watch sports absolutely so we know the difference between guys who like just put in the time you know eating the right amount of calories and becoming beefcakes versus the guys like oh no his body's supposed to do that yeah exactly exactly um that's kind of it's kind of i'm thankful like i'm in combat sports because there's so many variables that mitigate any sort of explosion. Like I meet a lot of guys who are like super explosive and they don't do very well. Yeah. It, because they're not good at these, these finer movements. Like they have the knockout power, but a lot of the time they don't know how to apply it. Honestly. Mm, I mean, yeah. I, I have natural knockout power, but like I never really used having knockout power as a strategy. Mm. Like I, I'll, I'll seek to finish fights. But if I if it's a fight that I can't finish, I'm not gonna rush to finish. Like I, sure. I went into it like, you know, I want I want skill mastery. Like I want to be a true master of technique and master of the sport. Sure. And there's so many other variables. It's like how do people how do people handle getting hit in the face? How do people handle getting kicked in the liver? How do people handle bone on bone? You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, then there's also just the finesse aspect of it. There's the there's so much more strategy involved than like I have the ball and I do the I, I run over here and like okay then stop yeah, right yep yep um, and then there's also the fact that weight classes like not everyone needs to be heavyweight um, and yeah. I mean Francis Ngannou just won the belt and like look how long it took him to get the belt even with that just I mean he doesn't knock you out normal right I don't know if yeah talk about him. talk about mutant yeah no, he, he's another one of these mutants like a lot of I mean, a lot of the mutants of the world come out of, like, one of three places. Like, Northern Europe, like, they're the, the leftover, like, just giants that, you know, a lot of white supremacists look to as, you know, as, like, evidence of some Aryan superiority, which just gives me a gigantic laugh whenever I bump into any of these guys on Instagram. <laughs> right, right. Um, or, you get, uh, or you get guys from West Africa, like Francis Ngannou, um, or a lot of, you know, a lot of the field sport athletes have descendants. Or from Usman, or Israel, too. 
Exactly. Adesanya, like all three of those guys are from the same part of the world. What's, what's interesting about Usman, though, is Usman is not like Izzy or, um, or Francis Ngannou. He's not that explosive. He's yeah. not this. Um, he's not. He's not super fast. He's got a really fucking strong mind. Yeah. Uh, he's incredibly smart fighter. He's incredibly smart the way he's gone around his career, and the way he's put together his game plan around his pressure wrestling. Like his his Muay Thai, his Muay Thai application plays right into his pressure wrestling. His clinch. With right. the whole, a lot of people bitch about his foot stomp. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I don't know why it's being written. Yeah. Because it's just another added layer of pressure that, like, okay, well, if you try to grapple, you're going to play straight into my pressure wrestling style. Like, he's crafted a style around his strengths that is so unbelievably brilliant. And his endurance is absolutely unreal. And it's not typical of what you see from a West African athlete. You typically see that more out of East Africa. So he's mm. sort of like an anomaly compared to, you know, Francis and Izzy are both very explosive. Izzy's obviously a much skinnier guy, but you see just one little pop, he knocked yeah. down Whitaker. So he's yep. obviously very explosive despite not being this, you know, the specimen of muscle development. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, totally. And then you get the guys from, from Eastern Europe who are, I, I don't really know what their problem is. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when I started fighting in England, right? Or like when I started in Muay Thai, like, yeah, I had Brits. And there's something magical about British Muay Thai because it's, England in so many ways is so set in stone a lot of about a lot of things, especially like the further north you get up the country. Like, yeah, uh, guys from Yorkshire. I was like, "Well, you didn't that fat. Uh, like, um, if you're wearing if you're wearing boots that aren't, you know, maybe a little funky." It's like, "I don't really know. You get any big tonight, eh? Film about tonight, eh?" It's like they're so set in stone. But then, like every once in a while, they really embrace something just super exotic and foreign. Like they love Indian food so much. You can right. find chicken tikka in any pub across the country. And they love Muay Thai. They love this sport that came from this super yeah. hot, exotic country. That is the exact opposite of their country. So right, the totally. Brits, the Brits, like Liam Harrison and Darren Till, you know, doing Muay Thai, that's something magical. But I train with a lot of guys from three, three places, Pakistan, Russia, and Nigeria. The, the Pakistani guys, it hurt when you hit them. It didn't make any sense. Like, how is this hurting me more than it's hurting you? Um, the Nigerian guy is obviously super explosive, um, like we we're saying, a lot of West African guys. And then the Russian guys just had this kill switch. It's just like their minds are, are different. I, I don't really understand. Like you watch a lot of Russian track athletes, yeah, they're blood doping, but they have like this level of strength of keeping pace, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when you get in the mid distance and long distance events. So it's like a lot of freak athletes from those three parts of the world that are absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah. I always, I always found it, you know, the most difficult to, to train with Eastern Europeans because they're just, quite honestly, the toughest people. Um, I believe that. Um, it's, and it, honestly, it's not close. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really not close. Um, I believe that. When you come from a country that's seen genocide of multiple ethnic and religious groups, famine, scorched earth tactics to save yourself from Napoleon, um, reigns of terror, communism, it's just, they, they've been through it all. It's like, what could you possibly yeah. show these people that's new, you know? Exactly. Uh, exactly. So that, I guess that maybe that's, maybe that's generational emotional makeup where they have maybe more of an abundance of neuropeptide Y and that's why they're so good at stress management. Maybe they have mm. more of an abundance of that from the get-go without seeing a traumatic event. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that, those are some fascinating outliers like you're saying that these people are going to be good at it. Yeah, definitely are. In, in terms of specifics, do you do you die like so? I completely agree with you about GPP. Like a lot of 
like um, Phil Derue, the strength and conditioning coach for um, for America. Well, he was the strength and conditioning coach for American Top Team. He ripped on Conor McGregor's bad posture. He has like this sunken in chest. You know, that was a pretty uh, pretty good example of someone who's too sports specific. Um, yeah. How much sports specific training do you, do you diagnose per athlete? Like, how much do you recommend in pairing with d- doing their actual sport? Like, let's say they're in the beginning or mid range because you work with a lot of kids. Right. Um, how much do you diagnose in, in, in terms of their um, allotting when it comes to compared with their GPP and performing their actual sport and maybe some recovery stuff? So honestly, the for most people, until you get to a pretty high level, your sport-specific training is going to come from your sport. Like there's no real need to me to try to replicate something in the gym when you're just going to go do it in the gym. Like we need to build the base of strength and conditioning first so you can go do that stuff in your sport right so a lot of the like kind of gimmicky things that happen with you know guys that call themselves sport specific trainers and they're working with kids and you know the ladder drills and all this kind of stuff that's not doing anything that they're not getting from their sport anyways what they need to be doing is just getting stronger right and so that's going to be the case for most people for actually quite a long time like i mean most of most people's journeys in athletics are just going to be about how can i be strong and mobile and healthy and then if I'm doing a sport, that's where I'm going to get my sport-specific stuff from. Only when you get to like the, the really high level are we going to start making training changes that are going to be influencing, like if we're trying to get that extra 1%, right? Uh, and so for most people, it's, and it's an annoying answer for a lot of people, but like the basics are the basics for a reason. Like you've got to hammer those things. And forever, like they, they will never not be effective. You know, um, and so when you're talking about sports specific stuff, I usually don't do much, just especially with kids, because they, I mean, age wise, they're not there, but especially training age wise, they're not remotely ready to handle some stuff that you would do with somebody who's been in that sport for 15 years, you know, but, and even, and even at the top level, I'm never going to be good with speed ladders. I don't care what anybody else thinks. That's like, get them, burn them all in a pile somewhere. Uh, they're like the most useless things ever, but they look good on videos. So that's why they sell a lot. Uh, but most people just need to build strength and conditioning and then learn how to take care of themselves so they can stay injury free. And then, yeah, go do your sport. That's where you're going to get that practice, develop that skill in that setting. In terms of, um, there's more literature on on this now, um, but it's, it's, it's been more, it's been more clearly defined uh, more recently, but um, how much value do you put on training the stretch reflex in, in, mm. in, so because you have, you have multiple routes of gaining strength. You have, I mean, my, like I said before, in terms of Soviet weightlifting system, it's like almost all central nervous system yep. methodology of gaining strength. That's how um, Arthur Rigger, or sorry, David Rigger was able to, you know, work in the mines all day and then train at night and still be fresh because his muscles are fried, but his central nervous system is actually still pretty okay. Um, and so you have multiple routes. So you have the, you have the central nervous system and then, you know, for field sports, you have, you have to have more muscular routes of gaining strength involved. Um, so how much, how much, how much uh, emphasis would you recommend to people on training any aspect of stretch reflex. Maybe there's some crossover here with like just ballistic training that you can get from kettlebells, but do you differentiate the two between ballistic training with kettlebells and the stretch reflex specifically in the muscles? And for the listeners, those of you who don't know, um, 
in in, in muscle spindles, you can comp essentially treat the muscle as a compressed spring to be more explosive, and you do that by training something called the stretch reflex. So some some background for the listeners. Yeah, and honestly, the the ballistic movements with the kettlebells and and some basic plyometric stuff would be what I would spend the most time on doing things with. And and I wouldn't even say spend the most time on, but that would be what I would add in after building that foundation, right? Because a lot of the times, just teaching somebody to squat and adding external load to it, uh, you're gonna, especially if, if you're talking about kids, like a lot of that stuff is still naturally developing, you know. Uh, and so I look at it differently with kids versus other people, but I honestly, outside of the, uh, you know, some, some single leg plyos, bounding, learning how to run properly, uh, mechanics are, are much bigger focal point for me in that regard than like the actual variation of exercises, if that makes sense. Um, I would, I would much rather look at running mechanics, uh, learn how to bound, learn how to jump and land correctly. Right, yeah. those type of things, doing it in a mechanically correct way, are going to have a massive amount of carryover. Uh, and a lot of times, when you're talking about somebody who has not developed any of those things, the it's it's that beginner's gains concept, right? Like somebody who's never done something before is going to see some pretty good progress pretty quick when they're yeah. introduced to that stimulus. Um, so again, that's kind of mostly my realm. I know several coaches, very high level guys um, that work with high level athletes uh, that have some more specific protocols when it comes to how do we get those extra, <clears throat> excuse me, how do we get those extra percentage points? How do we get those extra reps? You know, how do we develop this specific pattern? Um, and honestly, that's not much of my game. Uh, I can, I focus a lot more on how do we build it? The build the base and then if you know depending on where the person is we can add in a couple of these things to make it a little bit more explosive and that's why i love things like kettlebell movements uh kettlebell swing is I, arguably the greatest exercise in the history of exercises yeah. uh and so doing something like that but then again just like running mechanics bounding jumping learning how to do those things in mechanically correct positions massive carryover absolutely it's a does that running joke it's like yeah uh atlas stones get me better at deadlifting but deadlifting doesn't get me better at atlas stones um, yeah <laughs> yeah and that's uh, the skill point of it right that's not just brute strength there's like technique involved yeah and you're using multiple planes with the atlas stone and it's more organic absolutely so more just linear no matter what the, uh, the plane is you know exactly um it's like the spine does need to curve with the uh like you have some stiffness there but it doesn't need to curve with the atlas stone which is a lot more dynamic for you know the thoracic spine Anything right. Deadlift could possibly provide. I don't care what variation you're doing, even a suitcase deadlift. Um, but um, in terms of in terms of that base, like what do, what do you find are the pitfalls when when sort of dealing with clients and um, training them through the process of getting their base? Like I'm sure there's always there's always various people who are impatient, maybe, maybe more often than not. But um, what pitfalls just in training in general do you see uh, manifest when it comes to training clients? day-to-day uh, -day and building their base fitness there's base strength conditioning a lot of times it's going to come down to a couple of things that aren't even necessarily training related i guess i could say it's going to be consistency and your habits right um especially if we're talking about a beginner right because beginner like i said before is going to show progress no matter what you throw at them because they're just adapting to new stimulus uh but where 
the long-term stuff's going to come in. And a lot of times it's the sticking point for a lot of people is how can I make this a habit long-term? How do I make this part of my life? And uh, that's usually the fir- one of the first things that from a mindset standpoint that we have to work through. It's like, how do we create these habits that are going to carry me far beyond anything in this program specifically? Because again, you're going to see the progress when you're new. Everything you do, I could go pick up tennis tomorrow and in the first month have an exponential amount of progress than the than following six months, you know, uh, because you're just learning everything at the beginning. And so uh, it's the same thing with training. It's how do we create these habits? It's not necessarily like what is the exercise that's going to keep me, you know, at this percentage of strength forever kind of thing. It's what can I add into my life or remove from my life that's going to make it easier for me to do this every day. And so it actually ends up coming down much more to a mindset standpoint than a training standpoint, oddly enough. Mm. I like that because it's usually the mind. I mean, there's some working theories. Um, this is, this is sort of getting into like the fringes of science and sports science, but um, I remember, you know, for this, this is this is some uh, some background uh, that many of my listeners have heard, but just very briefly, um, that I went, you know, I went through. I'm Orthodox Christian. I, I went through, you know, four year celibate period by choice before, you know, getting together with my fiance, um, and I thought that was going to go on forever. So like, I was trying to push myself in every aspect of life, like mentally, spiritually, physically. You know, being a Christian and being a fighter and doing this whole. Month. Monk mode, like when people said, oh, you're doing monk mode, I'm like, bro, no, I was not doing monk mode. I didn't read some book by some guy. I was just literally an Orthodox Christian who was considering being a monk after my fight career. That was literally right. what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I, I was a lot better at not cursing at this point in my life. Um, Got to get back to that. But anyway, um, I sort of, I mean, I, I tried to emulate my mindset off of like just quite frankly just David Goggins because when you hear his story and how quickly yeah. he lost over 100 pounds to get into to buds and what he was putting his body he literally like you're talking about and this this is this is this is a question uh, these are sort of two questions in one or like some background leading into a question that I had that I thought would be pretty interesting to ask um, David Goggins is a fascinating case study for me because we look at his story as inspiring, right? And it, it is, obviously. Um, but what he put his body through is nothing short of supernatural, honestly, because yeah. he forced, like, and actually Joe Rogan hit the nail and it's like, you kind of just forced your body into like a professional athlete's regimen just training hours upon hours upon hours very quickly. Um, probably wouldn't recommend that for most guys, but it sounds like he just led with his mind. And it didn't matter what the, like, he would adjust the body accordingly. You hear a couple stories from masters of their craft before things got, there was so much literature about everything that we're telling them no, right? Um, yeah. Masahiko Kimura, like, uh, there's that great documentary with the Canadian judoka who won the, the, the silver medal, I believe. I forgot the name of the Canadian judoka, but he's training with uh, Kimura in Japan. And he says, sometimes we do a thousand push ups per day. This yeah, yeah, un- yeah. This is unreasonable. I don't think he actually believes in physical limitations. He just sort of works past or around them. Yep. And you hear more and more stories about these guys. It's just this inherent belief that it's just like maybe they're programmed. They're putting the body in a different frequency that 
can get past these not only getting to perceived limits like it's some Tony Robbins nonsense, but yeah, perceived limits. Um, so I got to a point where I was, dude, I was, you know, I've mentioned this to people before, but I was working, you know, long bar shifts, getting off three o'clock in the morning, um, going to Denny's, grabbing two everyday value slams, going, uh, training in the gym from four to six thirty in the morning, uh, waking, going to sleep at seven, waking up at twelve thirty or one, and then training until I had to get back to the bar at eight and. I was getting very little sleep. Sometimes I wasn't getting enough food, and I was still growing in skill set. My strength was going up. My conditioning was going up. My muscle development was going up. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was living in New York um, a year later, um, a friend of mine called me. He's like, hey, how the fuck were you doing that? Because <laughs> it's just like you were gaining muscle, and you were exhausted all the time. Like, not exhausted just from training, but you were just always sleep-deprived. I was yeah, just like... Yeah. I think maybe just through like meditation and through prayer and through not literally not giving my body or mind a choice and being able to live that lifestyle where I wasn't engaged at the time. So I was like, I didn't really need to explain anything to anybody, honestly. Yeah. Um, that I, maybe I was tapping into some pineal gland thing that was activating something else. I don't know. But it seems to me maybe there's this, this fringe case study on like leading with the mind so much so that you actually have some kind of override, which yeah. is kind of fascinating because we, we've seen examples of this in Masahiko Kimura, seen this example with David Goggins, seen this example with a couple of, a couple other examples that are sort of escaping me. Um, and probably a lot more that we don't know anyways. Well, yeah, and there's, there's this whole thing of yeah. like no one could break the four minute mile. Uh, the five yeah. minute mile mark and then Roger Bannister did it and then everyone did it. Dorian Yates is the first guy the, the heaviest champion in Mr. Olympia was 245. He did 265 and everyone started doing it. it. It seems to me that there's something there that we haven't really quantified in science. Yeah. Tony Hawk too. It. Tony Hawk landed the first 900 and then like 10 years later there's 11 year olds doing it. Yeah, which is just hilarious. Obviously. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like what's normalized. It's like you you actually have to be just absurdly unreasonable. Like you actually have yeah. to be sort of mad. Um, do, 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 like, do you have any thoughts on maybe where this could go? Do you have any mm. thoughts on what that is? I don't. I've thought about this too, and I'm not sure that I could point to like anything specific in terms of a skill, right? Or and, and it's totally mindset stuff. It's part of me fearless part understanding that in some cases some things are literally life or death because you don't know what's on the other end right uh and i think some of that stuff is going to come down to it was always going to be these people these certain people that pushed most certain boundaries right like it 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 had to have been uh and i think it's i want to say it's outliers but malcolm gladwell Mm. talks a little bit about this like it had to do with the environment that this person grew up in at the exact moment in time that they grew up in it. Uh, the things that they went through in life that built them up to this moment. Like it was always going to be them that did this thing. Like when he talks about uh, like the, the tech world, right. And, and jobs and gates and all of these guys that basically created everything that exists around us right now, technology speaking. Uh, he said, these were guys that were born in the fifties. So they were teenagers, uh, late teenagers, early 20s, and late 60s and 70s, or or in the 70s, right? So they're going Mm. through all of these cultural things happening through the 70s. They're in this part of the country during this time. 
uh, I mean, like it was all of these things that when you look at it, like all of these guys that are the billionaires in the tech world that are around that age of, of Gates and Jobs and all those guys, they were all in the same place at the same time back in the 70s. Like, and it wasn't just, you know, it was it was the environment that curated and built out a lot of these. And it's, you can apply that to any industry or any athletic endeavor. Like, you're going to find those guys that it was like, it was always going to be these guys that did this thing. Right. And then after that, they were the, they were the trailblazers. But then after that, everybody's like, okay, it's going to be done. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm down. You look at like the Tony Hawk example in, in being in California and being at that moment in time where people were starting to like do some different things on a skateboard and the way he grew up learning certain things in the area that he grew up in, like he was going to be the one that was going to push those boundaries. And so it's interesting because I don't know if there is like a thing that you can point it to because it's just a culmination of everything in someone's life that led them to a certain moment and it's going to come down to like are they going to do it or aren't they because they're the only ones capable of it at that time that's that, that's like a fascinating like tie to the universe because you talk about briefly touching on pineal gland but now it seems it's just universal alignment right it's like the stars and you know whether you're a christian or not like i could point to a numerous bible verses attributing yeah. to the benefits of balancing what would be the chakras basically if you think eastern religion like i i can have those crossovers whether you believe they're literal chakras or not or just modes of being and modes of tuning each aspect of the self um in terms of their environment as well and the way they receive information the way they receive things from the eastern you know it's that's a fascinating aspect and it just goes beyond like it is fitness and it isn't fitness yeah, and, totally. like that's something I like touched upon, you know, mainly through like the com- like the combination of orthodoxy, and and Muay Thai and the guys I was listening to at the time and where I was in my life. Like I made the biggest strides at a time in that yeah. environment, and it's like I, I I sort of like I don't because I, I'm I always like to you know speak about agency and, and free will, but it's like right now I'm I'm in between ideal environments when it comes to training. It's like I know when I have that environment tuned. Part of the override is having that and like crafting that environment and then just plunging myself in it so it can mold me into what needs to happen, right? And into who I need to be. It's on the other side of that environment. It's not really necessarily the other side of these specific actions. It can be, but that combined with that environment is is a whole different game. I mean, it's you you see this not just you know in skill development, but in the way art and music all, all these things take shape like you see the, the, the works we've been reading for the past hundred years the most influential works of the past hundred years were in the 1920s in paris right post-world mm. war one we don't know what the world's like anymore you can die in any split second mustard gas you know mechanized warfare all of these things and when people ask me you know which city would you want to be in it's just like well i started to come across this idea it's like maybe it's not necessarily the city it's a given place at a given era it's like yeah mm. i'd love to be in seattle in 1991 Right. I'd love totally. to be in Paris in 97 when Daft Punk came out. I'd love to be great example in, in, yeah. in London in the 80s in 1984 with New Order and you know, all these and Pesh Mode and all these other bands coming out. It's just like, what you're right. It's like, what hits at that given time? It's just like, maybe it's mm. not even as much of a choice as we think. Now it's getting into this whole literary existential argument, but it is, it does come full circle into the aspect of, of training. It's like, and you, even the environment that the guys, these guys you talk about, I know a lot of people, these football players who are in bad neighborhoods, it's like, well, they still have this West African lineage, right? And the environment that they inherited genetically over hundreds and thousands of years of having ancestors in West Africa and being molded by that environment, whatever it is, or same thing with the Northern Europeans or same thing with the Eastern Europeans, right? 
It's yeah. or the ties with kicking, they're just natural kickers, and that's how they develop this complete striking martial art. That's another outlier. Right. It's like, is that something you can tune into? Is it something that you can uh, manipulate and craft on an individual or a communal level? I think that's fascinating sort of fringe topic to apply to fitness yeah. in the way you're creating a gym like you walk into Marcello Garcia's jiu-jitsu gym in New York City it's like wow I, like you, you're in there like I want to train at all hours of the day you know what I mean right <laughs> yeah um, seriously and then maybe that's you know I, I saw a post a couple days ago on feng shui it's like there's so many factors that we haven't even stopped to think about that aren't on the spreadsheet of, of numbers you know yeah that's interesting yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that went far. <laughs> now, now, you I, got me now. Now, not now, my mind's just spinning. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it. that's that's kind of the whole point of podcasting is you craft ideas and you leave, you know, chewing on something the next week totally. or, or maybe the next year or so, depending on yeah. that given moment in that given place. To yeah, that's gonna be stirring up in my head for a couple hours now. Sweet, awesome. Well, I, I know you had about two hours. I know we're over that. I don't want to take any, any more of your time. Oh no um, worries, man. It's dude. This has been this has been awesome. Uh, it was fun. It was a great conversation. I'm glad we made it happen. As as am I. As am I. And uh, I'd love to have you again on the podcast again sometime soon. Um, I'm I'm planning some panels of you know other gentlemen like yourself um, that I, I've spoken to about you know I, I have writers. We're gonna do like a writers panel, but um, I want to do strength and wellness as well. And I'd love to invite you back on. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd I'd love to. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, before we go, where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, Instagram is the main hub right now for most things. I'm at Coach Ross Hillier, H-I-L-L-I-E-R. Uh, the Nomad Strength Show is on all podcast platforms, wherever you can get them. Uh, you can also go to the website, which is nomad-strength.com, and that's where uh, some articles that I've got posted. Um, I'm actually going to start putting some more effort into that website and update a lot of my writing as well. Uh, but that's where the hub for the podcast is and a lot of other things that are coming out down the, down the pipeline. So that's it, man. Awesome, man. And guys, go give him a follow. He posts a lot of great stuff. Um, we didn't get into food. We didn't get into, you know, raw milk and all that good stuff, but, uh, I'm sure we will get into the future. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll get into all that. Awesome. And also, um, I, guys, I mentioned about soul seminar. Have you, have you heard about what's going on with soul seminar? I have not. So all this, you know, the solar bros, you know, like you, you rub shoulders with a lot of them, like, you know, like mm-hmm. myself, um, you know, Forrest Munden, um, yeah, Renaissance and men, you know, all yeah. have like one foot or both feet or multiple limbs or whatnot, a couple of fingers, you know, a couple of toes, whatever, <laughs> in, a, in that realm. We're planning, a, we're planning a seminar in this sort of meet in Seattle at the end of July. Um, oh, wow. Cool. And uh, it'd be great to exchange ideas and rub shoulders and meet everyone in person. I think that'd be, uh, I think people would love to see you there. I would love to see you there, man. If, uh, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk yeah. about it and see if we can make it happen. Sounds great, man. Guys, go give a, go give coach Ross a, a follow. Um, go read some of his literature. I know I'm going to be reading more. I didn't even know you had articles. I've just been listening to the podcast. Uh, maybe I missed whatever podcast. There aren't podcast many, there aren't, there are there's not much writing up on it right now, but I've got a backlog of stuff that needs to be posted. So I'll get it all up there eventually. Sweet, man. Yeah. You and me both. I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm way over to post <laughs> So we probably should get cracking on that, but um, guys go give them a follow. And until next time, good night and good storms.